Let's do this. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yes, inside. <laughs> the enthusiasm is unreal, Harry. <laughs> hello, hello, hello. And welcome to the 16th episode of the Meet Me Front Left podcast with yeah. myself, Dan. And me, Harry. Oi, oi. And this week we are joined by um, quite an inspiration of mine, actually. Um, it's uh, almost an honour to have him on, shall I say. Uh, we are joined by the amazing Mr. Scott Diaz. How are you, mate, my friend? How are you? I'm good. Thanks Thanks for having me on. Anytime, mate. Anytime. I did um, I did notice that you're quite a seasoned podcaster now. This definitely isn't your first. Um, <laughs> no, I've been doing a few more recently, actually. In the last few months, I've kind of upped it. I, you know what it is? I think... Uh, because over the last maybe nine months to a year, like a lot of people have been asking me and and I've sort of been saying no because I didn't, I kind of like, I, I had other stuff that I was working on and I really was focusing on it and I you know really wanted to get it finished and out yeah. and do musical stuff and get the sample label going and like it was almost a distraction in a way. Right. And um, I'd done a lot of different things over the years, DJ mixes and various bits and pieces and I just thought you know what, it'd be really cool to just not do anything for like six months or whatever and, you know, work on like other stuff music-wise and actually get music finished and music yeah. scheduled to come out and do the sample label stuff, which is really intensive. It's like building a website, building a new business, doing that whole side of it. And then I kind of figured that once that's all going and a little bit of space opens up, um, it'd be really nice to kind of talk about all of those things. And then it just happens by the way that things go. Yeah. That like everybody kind of contacts you within the same couple of months and says, hey, now, <laughs> hey, are, do, you, do, you, do you remember when you said contact me in three months and, uh, and, and you'll have time for it? And, and then they kind of go, do you have time? And so you're like, yeah. So, so, it's, so that's why uh, it all seems like it's kind of happening um, uh, in like a really close proximity. But it's really because I've kind of just been delaying people until uh, this kind of time so that's why oh well that's no bad thing mate that's no bad thing mm. um, but before you get into deep about um, the stuff going on with yourself um, do you want to give a little intro into who you are what you do in the music scene and god what should we go for we usually say favourite plant we've done favourite fruit yeah. favourite well, vegetable as well well, I'll start with favourite vegetable. Um, I don't know. I don't have a favourite vegetable, actually. I think um, there's a few. Carrots, banging. Decent. Um, potatoes, banging. Banging. Um, mashed potato, you know. Mm. Vers versatility. Versatile, versatile vegetable <laughs> potatoes, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a few. There's a few. It's getting towards that season now, isn't it? Yeah, that's true. Oh, it's yeah. Towards, Where the roast spuds will be towards, on your table. The parsnips. It's getting towards, uh, yeah, it's getting towards winter season. Yeah. My mum always used to disguise um, uh, uh, parsnips as potatoes. Oh, so. don't. My mum did yeah, that. We, I used to be so We haven't spoken so for 20 years. So. <laughs> it's, uh, it, was, it was a major scarring uh, incident in my childhood. <laughs> you know that feeling of sort of putting what you think is a, a potato in your mouth? You feel betrayed. <laughs> To be a parsnip or a turnip. I mean, it's, oh. it's hard to come back from, you know, as, a, as oh, an impressionable gosh. young young man. But, um, yeah, no, in the, in the slightly more uh, serious... Uh, <laughs> away, from, away from the spuds. Um, yeah, I, um, I've... Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm Scott Diaz. I'm a DJ, producer, uh, sound designer, 
Um, I've been kind of DJing and involved in sort of club culture, I would say, club music, dance music, um, since about, I mean, as a fan at least, since about like 1997 or something. Um, I've been like buying records since I was at school and DJing and kind of, you know, making music at one level or another, whether it was good or not, um, <laughs> but kind of, you know, inspiring, uh, being inspired, sorry, to make music and having, you know, a community of like-minded friends and people around me that I kind of had studios with and we would all kind of buy records and go to raves and, yeah, um, and yeah, and, uh, and I've kind of like traversed the sort of, you know, being into sort of jungle, uh, like sort of jungle techno or hardcore techno, maybe it was it's called at the time, and then sort of happy hardcore and drum and bass and garage and house and deep house and New York house and kind of just discovering all of these little pockets of different sort of scenes and different, you know, places based on maybe like geography or the sound or whatever as I've gone along. Sick. And um, yeah, and it's kind of just developed into, you know, as you guys probably know, it's like a natural progression of... Um, yeah. You don't really set out with I'm gonna do you know A, B, or C. Um, you maybe have these ambitions or dreams that like you would like to you know DJ in a club or you know DJ at this club or put a record out, or put some vinyl out, and you know and all of these things kind of slowly come to you, and then so you sort of realign your ambitions and they get a little bit bigger, and and you kind of want to do the next thing, and so it was never really any like um, all I wanted to do initially. I remember was just make a living out of music. Really, that yeah. was it. Yeah, um, that was the all. first thing. It's just like, just make a living. Like when I was 18, I was like, if I could just do music as a job, that would be the you know, the holy grail, you know. And then when you get there, you're like, oh, now I want to do this or I want to make a <laughs> bit more money or I want to play yeah. this venue or this thing. And I think it's good as, uh, you know, as Quincy Jones says, it's like you have to dream so big that you can't get an ego, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. Like, like the idea that whatever you're looking to achieve, like you're never going to achieve it. So... You know, it, the more every time you think you're doing good things and you may be doing really nice things, but if you just constantly keep the aims moving, it just keeps you humble yeah. because you know you're never going to achieve all the things that you want. Yeah, um, and that's no coming from a man who, no yeah, and that's coming from somebody who, like, when you just look at what he did in you know five years, just makes you think like, what the fuck have I done with my life? You know, <laughs> you're sitting on the sofa watching Netflix, watching Quincy Jones's documentary, and you're like. <laughs> I should probably finish that tune because I feel like <laughs> I feel really I feel really quite lazy sitting here watching this. But you know, so that's kind of been my approach, and um, and I've tried to. And in, and in latter years, I guess I've um, I've moved more into the sort of like uh, more engineering, more kind of um, like educational aspect, and sort of mentoring people and trying to be more available to sort of help people. Um, develop and answer questions and give feedback and I was kind of resistant to that at first because I felt like maybe it was like an indictment of like oh you haven't been successful in the music business unless you've done it this way yeah, yeah. Um, but if anything if, if this year in particular has especially shown us and also the last few years I kind of got the sense that the music industry was like changing mm. and that it wasn't really uh, as kind of um, as you know it was more more complex than just being like you just make music, make a living as a DJ, and that was it. It's now much more 360. It's yeah. much more holistic. There's much more stuff going on. And so I've tried to embrace that because I think that people see me more in that area. It's like if people see you as an educator and they see you as somebody inspirational and they want to ask you what, what you think of their records and they want feedback and they want you to do all of that stuff, it's almost like why would you be so arrogant to turn around and say, 
I'm not going to do that because <laughs> yeah, I think yeah. I'm better than that or I think my path's different. I almost sometimes think like you should like get in where you fit in, right? It's like, 100%. you know, like whatever people, where, where people sort of tell you that, that you fit and where they sort of lead you in terms of like what people want from you almost in this day and age seems like it's um is maybe where you should go. So I've tried to embrace more of that and that's sort of where I'm sitting at this particular moment in time, I guess. Amazing. You um you mentioned in um in that that you um you're obviously striving constantly to do things, do more things that you haven't done before. Is there anything like at the top of your bucket list now that you feel like you want to do? Like are there are there any things that you want to achieve kind of in a I want to say a near future, I suppose. I mean there's a million things. Um <laughs> But in the interest of you know keeping the keeping the podcast, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, under um, under ten hours. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, what what are the barometers here? Which is kind of it, it's an interesting question because it kind of you know in a wider context it takes us into like a wider discussion about, for example, like what is a what constitutes an achievement in the modern music industry, mm, right? Yeah. Um, which is another question. But if we put that to one side. You know, I would say things like um, I would say the the kind of barometers of success that I would think about mm. based on how I came up and what my kind of um, ambitions were. Yeah, it would be things like, and that's combined with obviously modern day things. So it would be things like playing at like playing at multiple festivals across one season, mm. right? Um, being on the front of Mix Mag or DJ Mag, oh, um, dream, doing it? a doing a Defected in the House compilation or a House Masters compilation, a Radio 1 essential mix, oh, yeah. um, being nominated for a Grammy or a DJ Mag Award or an Ivan Novello or something of that nature, um, yeah. having successful tours or being booked or having proper involvement at the major conferences, ADE, WMC, IMS, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so there's all these kind of things. That would be, you know, especially something like doing an essential mix on Radio One or having oh, an yeah. essential Pete Tong essential new tune or something like that. Oh, yeah. um, these are things that are kind of just, you know, they're 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 things that not everybody gets to do. And so after a period of time, I think you can look back and say that was a that was an achievement that on that day <laughs> nobody else was doing that or got to do yeah. that or you held that position for a week or whatever. And obviously, these are very lofty ambitions, like. Not everybody who makes dance music gets to be nominated for a Grammy. It's like yeah. it doesn't happen that often. It's no. like, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't strive for it because, you know, it's not about getting from A to Z. It's like you go from A to B, then B to C, then C to D. It's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, things seem like they're far, far away. But by incremental like improvement of what you're doing, um, and you know, longevity in the industry and your reputation and the rest of it, you can get from. Like, you know, you can hop through those numbers, that's, sorry, through those letters, as it were. Mm. Um, you can go from A, like, you know, when you're, when you're like a young producer or, or whatever starting out, you're at position A, right? You're dreaming of getting to like X, Y, Z. But yeah. it doesn't go, you don't jump from A to Z. That's not how it works. You go A, B, C, D, and you kind of slowly build things up over time. These are relationships, for example, that you yeah. might have had for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years with a label or with a DJ or whatever the case may be. So mm. um, so it's easier when you're young to kind of think, oh, I'm never going to get to that place. 
because it does seem insurmountable. It's, it, these people are your heroes when you're kids. It's like, or when you're young, you're going out and you're just obsessed with this culture and this music or whatever. And you have no idea how this music is made. It's all like, it's like alchemy. It's like magic to you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then you slowly start to figure it out. And the kind of, you know, you start to sort of put the pieces of the puzzle together. And then after a few years, you're like, well, I'm at, you know, I'm halfway there now. Like, it's just <laughs> yeah. a case of keeping going. And so, you know, so so that's why I make the point about saying about things like a Grammy or an Ivan Novello. It's like, in many ways, it's very, very far away. But in other ways, it's it's really not that far away at all. All it takes is one connection, one link, one record, one label, and you're kind of, then you're in that ballpark. So that's why you've got to keep, um, keep it ambitious, uh, in my personal view, and that keeps you just constantly wanting to improve. And from there, you can see where you can get to. Well said, mate. Wow, well that said. was really well said. <laughs> <Yeah>. I love that. <laughs> I, I do agree. I, I think there's a lot of, um, especially younger artists, I think me and Harry are, are safe to say we both met a few of them, where they are very impatient and think the moment you enter this scene that they can yeah. easily get from A to Z without any kind of networking skills or yeah. anything at all. Um, In a way, when I when I first started, which obviously isn't that long ago, really, when you think about it, um, <laughs> I, d- I think when you first discover this whole music scene, like you discover that like DJing and stuff like this, and you first get into it, it is like you, you get so excited, and you get like you know you're like you're like oh my god this is gonna be sick oh my god, and then you realise how much like it takes to to progress and how much work you have to put in, yeah. And once you start, <laughs> I mean you get a few gigs because you like who you know and all this sort of stuff, and um, but once you like start to kind of fall off a bit or like. You know, off. To, do you, you know what I mean? Like once yeah, um, no, it's no. not as easy, and you're like, oh well, god, that was the chronic. <laughs> <laughs> God's sake, that was a reference oh. to falling off. Yeah. Brilliant. You know what I mean? You, do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh god. Going back to um, when you said about uh, obviously everyone wants to like the dream is to do it full time and like make a living off uh, music and stuff, Scott. Um, when was it for you that you kind of discovered that you can do it? Uh, for a living and like how did that feel when you realize that you do it full time well i think yeah it's a, it's a gradual thing so you sort of um the advice i always give to people is like you know you sort of have to do everything until you can't do everything anymore which sort of sounds like saying nothing and everything at the same time but what i mean by that is like if you're doing a job um and it might be a job that you hate uh, or you dislike a lot and it kind of you know because let's let's be honest like people who who are creative and who make music and and who we meet at these kind of parties that we go to and who are we're kind of attracted to as as people as friends they're all kind of misfits they're all kind of like countercultural yeah. people and that's like what it, that's what art is that's what dance music is that's what club culture is that's what you know it, what any kind of art really whether it's painting whether it's music whatever it is whether you're in bands whether you're into DJing it's like you're all kind of these, like there's a punk, there's a punk-esque element to it, this kind of rebellious sort of countercultural thing that makes it difficult for us, I say us as you know, as a as a as a sort of group, um, to fit in. You sort of don't know where you fit in, you have this passion and you have this sort of drive to do something that's outside of 
the confines of like what you're sort of consistently told you should be doing yeah. in terms of education or employment or Upskill, your path baby. in life. <laughs> yeah, retrain, baby. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it's it's, it's like, it, and, and lots of the people that you meet, they all have these same traits. It's really interesting. Lots of the people you meet, they're all like, it's like you see, this is why I think the club community and dance music cultures people are really tightly knit because they all kind of see like little bits of themselves and other people that they meet mm. on the dance floor, right? Or other people that they meet at after parties or... Because yeah. you basically have this situation where like these people, you, you don't want to work. It like crushes your soul and, <laughs> you know, and you, yeah. you kind of have this because you have all these ambitions outside of what that is and it's so tightly regulated and yeah. it's so it's so much this sort of antithesis of like what you're trying to be. And, um, and you know, what, what's the saying? It's like every, you know, every child is born like a great artist or whatever, and we sort of knock it out of them, right? Yeah. Um, and, and the ones who kind of, you know, the, the ones who sort of retain that creativity and sort of keep it for the longest part, you know, are the sort of the, sort of the adults that grow up to be artists, I guess, mm. um, to some, you know, to some degree. So, um, I, you know, I, I always sort of had that sense within me that I always, was always wanted to do other things. And, um and uh i worked like i worked a few jobs in like the hotel business and that kind of suited me in a way because it was like mixed shifts and i could i could be out till three or four five o'clock in the morning but then not have to get up and be at work until three the next day in the <laughs> That's afternoon. What you want. um yeah and, and you know and, and it kind of worked well in terms of like my personality and sort of who i was and you know problem yeah. solving and all these things that sort of helped me in some ways so I think I kind of did that for a while. I kind of resisted it and, you know, but but it worked for me in terms of sort of still allowing me to like uh, sort of express myself, I guess. And then I kind of did that for a while and it wasn't really until, I don't know, I want to say maybe 2010 where I was kind of doing it full time. Now, now I was kind of still, I was working on music and doing various other bits and pieces, but um I think that I think what really kind of opened it up for me is that I was um, I was de- I was living in Brighton, which is where I'm from, which is where I am now, mm. and um, I basically uh, was DJing in a lot of commercial clubs, and so that was sort of the, the ticket for me. It was like I didn't really love playing this stuff, although it was kind of in the ballpark of like what I you know it was house basically. Yeah, it was like yeah, yeah, yeah. I was playing commercial. I was playing some kind of i was playing some amazing stuff like freemasons dance mixes and you know some amazingly well produced like dance commercial dance music but i was also playing kind of like semi cheesy dance music yeah. um but it was always house it was all house i never played r&b i never played you know and obviously a bit of garage and stuff like that and the more commercial stuff mm. but that was kind of my roots anyway but um yeah and i kind of was playing that stuff and and to be honest with you i was getting so well paid for doing that for like two nights and then the odd third night here and there when students were around or when things were happening. Fresh and that, <laughs> Yeah, like freshers, you know, the carnage parties and like yeah. all these kind of other things that were going on that I'd get maybe I'd ask to play out on like a Thursday or a Sunday. And um, I was DJing my regular Friday and Saturday on, on kind of the main street in Brighton. And, um, and that basically sustained me for like two or three years. I was doing that every wow. weekend. And for those seven or eight hours I was there per night, it was like, some some of it was really fun and I got to kind of get it got to like four in the morning and I got to like let loose and I was playing kind of cool house stuff and you know a bit more kind of techie or tribally or whatever you know it's all still like 
stuff that people could latch on to, but I was like able to go and kind of, you know, the, the spectrum was a bit wider. Right. But, um, but anyway, for the most part, I was playing essentially like commercial house, but it was okay for me because I basically did that for two nights or three nights a week. And for the other four or five days of the week, I basically, I, I, that was more than enough money per week for me to live, for me to do what I need to do, for me to have a studio, um, and I would essentially just use that time to make music. So it was almost like oh, I would kind nice. of, I just, I just allowed myself to have that trade-off where I just said, look, you're going to lose these two days a week and you might put up with some idiots and you might not be <laughs> happy 100% of the time. But once you get past that and you reach that Sunday afternoon and you know that the next five days, you can just go in the studio and do whatever you want. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of what, was the uh what was the 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 thing that freed me basically Mm. and so that's what i did and so from that moment onwards i've essentially been self-employed and and um and and sort of doing it as a as a proper business where it's been turning over a profit essentially so and then of course everything just just develops from there your your productions improve you you have more time to to dedicate to it to you know to develop your business, to develop yourself as an artist, to get, you know, to invest in your your business in terms of going to conferences and doing other things that you think are necessary. And and it's a slow, it's a slow game. It's like, yeah, you know, definitely. to reference what you were saying earlier about being patient, it's like 20, you know, 20, 25 years ago, not to be, a, I'm not being a Luddite about it because <laughs> you've got to move on with the times, but it's like, you know, you just... There was no way of like you didn't know what your de- what your favorite DJs looked like. You didn't have any way of like talking oh. to them like you do now. It's like we live in such a great time. It's like people can just reach out to me now and say, "Hey, I want to send you my tune. Will you listen to it?" I'm like, "Sure." Yeah. You know, 20 years ago, I couldn't send a record to like <laughs> you know to MJ Cole or DJ Zinc or Hype or anybody like that and say, "Hey, listen to my tune." They, you know, and if you approach somebody like the way that, that people approach people now on social media. These guys would be like, who the fuck do you think you are? Like, there's a hierarchy here, man. Like, yeah. you got to earn your stripes, right? Like, <laughs> I remember I remember going to, to Music House in uh, in Holloway, North London, in like 1998, 99. We went up there a few times. We'd get dubs cut there. And you were like a nobody, basically. You came up, you know, you came up with, from, from wherever you came from. And you had your 35 quid to pay for a dub plate or whatever it was, 25, 35 quid. Yeah. And um, and and there would just be everybody there. Like you'd be going there, there'd be all these like A-list DJs there from Garage, Shaman Bass, whatever. No way. And yeah, and, and you just sit there with them and like Groove Rider would come in, Goldie would come in, <laughs> all these people. And if you were in front of the you were like next in the queue, but Groove Rider comes in. And he wants to cut like six tunes. You're fucking sitting there waiting for Groove <laughs> to cut six tunes. That that is it, my friend. That, yeah. you're like there is a hierarchy to this. Like yeah. you're not important, and this person <laughs> is. And actually, if you wanna if you wanna get your tunes cut, you'll just wait. It's as simple as that. Yeah. That was what it. That was what it was like. Yeah. That was what it was like. And that concept, I talked to Spoonie about this on 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 Rinse FM a couple of years ago. Oh yeah. It was it was like this concept doesn't exist anymore to people. Like this concept of hierarchy and of like paying your dues and of like being, you know, like putting the time in just doesn't exist. People are just like, well, immediately I can just reach out to you. And there's almost no respect for what you've done in the past. And that's a good and a bad thing. I'm not saying like, I'm not saying, you know, there's some God complex or there's an ego element or whatever, but it's just like, 
you know, there used to be a way of like kind of understanding where you fitted in, in the structure of like what was a hierarchy of kind of dance music and the idea of like paying your dues and of like representing the culture and representing the, the, uh, the scene and being part of the community yeah. and what that led to. It was like, if you wanted to play at that party, you went to that party, <laughs> turn up and go to that party five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten weeks in a row. Get to know the DJs, get to know what records they're playing, get to know what the crowd is like, get to know the promoters. And if you work it right, and maybe you've got other stuff going on, like you also make tunes or, you know, whatever, and you give them some stuff, they're like, you know what, let's give you a shot. And and so many um, DJs and, and prominent artists, that's that's how they've done it. Yeah. They went, you know, look at Sam Divine for Defected. She was like going to the Defected parties. Out yeah, of her own I pocket heard about for, this actually. You know, yeah. And then the next season she becomes like, the, the artist manager doing liaison and doing touring uh, set up and doing all this stuff. And then at the end of that, she gets offered a management deal. But that was like two summers worth of of like graft and work and Jeez. showing the people that you're actually um, committed to it. It's yeah. like, you know, and, and, and that just, just goes back to your, to your point about what you were saying about people just being so impatient. It's yeah. like that there is this impatience. You've really got to... You've got to be prepared to stick at it for the long haul, and um, definitely, it's it's an it's an endurance test, really. And the people that stick at it for the longest generally tend to do the best at it. Oh, so it's 100% about whether agree. you can set that up as circumstances for yourself, you know. Yeah, yeah. I think you can. We've noticed that in especially our local area as well. Like most people will notice over the last couple of years, like a lot of people have um, shown interest in DJ and got into it for the first time, or like in the last two years. And then after like a year, maybe you see a lot of people kind of just give up and like just nothing. Yeah. Um, and it's, yeah, like you said, it's an endurance race. Like the people who actually want to do it will stick at it and do it no matter what. Like even mm-hmm. if they are working a nine to five job um, and their only time in the studio is like in the evening or on the weekend, uh, <laughs> the, the people who are me. The pe- <laughs> I think, um, uh, you know, a big part of that, as, uh, of that um, scenario as well is the situation that, the barrier to entry now has become like much, much lower. Yeah. And, um, and that can be a good and a bad thing, right? Depending on how you look at it. So like, if you're like a pure elitist and, um, and you say, and, and you only kind of want to keep things for yourself and you say certain people shouldn't be able to be involved or, or da, 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 whatever the case may be, mm. then you would say that it's a really, really bad thing that the barrier to entry is low because it encourages lots of amateur people and fly-by-nights and people that are not committed and all the rest of it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's that's a valid argument on one side. And then the flip side to that is, well, this is music, this is entertainment, this is art, and why should that be cut off from anybody, depending on no matter what, that, what yeah. art that is? You wouldn't turn around to somebody who wants to draw a picture and say, well... You know, you haven't committed your entire life to the to the art of culture, <laughs> yeah. you know, art How culture, dare you? And, the, and the painting scene and all this, and you don't get the right to do da 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 da. And so, therefore, you know, it's a, it's a childlike, almost sort of primal instinct to want to draw and create art and make noise and listen to sound and all the rest of it. So, from that perspective, I think it's really, really, uh, you know, the reality is like you can basically make music now with almost no investment. Yeah. Um, and a long time ago, it required a lot of investment. 20, 25 years ago, like, it was needed. Like, you had to buy, you know, you needed at the very least, like, a sampler, a sequencer, a mixer, a keyboard, and some speakers, and, and, and you know, and a few other things kind of upwards from there. And now it's like, you can have an iPhone, 
and you can download an, an iOS app and you can buy <laughs> sounds on the app store. Yeah. And I've done, I, and I've made sounds for some of these apps. You know, I've, I've, I've provided sounds for certain apps where you can kind of buy like expansion packs and things like that. And these wow, people wait. that are downloading these kind of things, they're yeah. maybe just somebody that is like, they just like doing it as a hobby. It's like yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah. they have like a little, little synthesizer or a little like uh, door on their phones and they pay a few quid for it and then they can then they can pay eight pounds for an expansion from MPC or something like that. <laughs> and it allows them to basically just dip in and out. And so you get this kind of like aspect where these aren't people that are like lifelong, you know, sort of committed to the scene, as it were. They're just people that are like, well, it's no different to like everybody's a photographer now. Everybody <laughs> yeah. can make videos now, right? Yeah. It's like, yeah, okay, fine. You're not. I'm not the level of a videographer, but I've got Premiere Pro. It's like I can put things together in a way that kind of does what I needed to do. But that doesn't, that doesn't mean I could, you know, film a wedding or I could film a Hollywood movie. Or so consumers are creators, and so that's that that has been opening up for a while over the last few years. Definitely, and it's recently just reached into music because it's now like, oh, you can hit one key and this thing will do chords for you and all of that. And okay, yeah. that's great. If you don't play music, that's fantastic. Um, and but but those all I see is is just being like a widening of the customer base for people that are interested in you know samples, interested in uh, plugins, interested in um, like workstations, and whether they continue it on or not is almost irrelevant. It's like the people that continue it on <clears throat> and sort of pursue uh, pursue it and persevere with it are the people that hopefully will end up doing something really really cool. Yeah. So they may not be that great now but in a year or two years like what's to say that they won't be doing something really innovative and so like from the from a purely sort of you know liberal perspective on it it's like you should we should be encouraging people to make as much art and you know as much yeah. art as possible um and then wherever it goes from there is wherever it goes from there i don't believe in this like elitist notion that <laughs> unless you've got five grand to spend on a studio and you were studying piano from the age of five, like you don't get the right to make music. It's like, <laughs> yeah. who the fuck gets to decide that? Well, like you're saying like, what? so we're saying like Aphex Twin it has nothing of value to offer because, you know, he didn't, he doesn't do that. He didn't fit either one of these three criteria or the same for Fatboy Slim or the same for, do you know what I mean? Anybody else. It's like, yeah. it doesn't make any sense. Like, it's some of the most amazing music that we've had over the last like 20 years in particular, yeah. has come out of those restrictions, those exact circumstances. So I think we sort of need to embrace that. At the end of the day, if the music's good, it's good. And if it's not, it's not. Um, Amen. And if it connects with you, it connects with you. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. And, like, it's up to you to figure that bit of the magic out and, like, have some standards and, like, take some time to figure out that puzzle. Yeah. Um, no one else can teach you that bit. Like, if you make a record that connects with somebody and it's the first tune you ever made, then... That's what you did. Like, yeah. it's not for anybody to say, well, you know, that, well, you didn't play piano for 20 years before, so it's not valid. It's like, <laughs> that doesn't work with dubstep, doesn't work with jungle, doesn't work with drum and bass, doesn't work with garage. You've got everything involved in all of those scenes. You've got the most musical people and the least musical people. Yeah. And they all have something uh, that's valid to offer. So yeah. that's, um, that's kind of where I've sort of sat with all of that. But you're right. It's like, there are lots of people who, who are kind of like fly by night for want of a better term 
Um, mm-hmm. But it's just because I think I think it's because of the of the sort of abundance and the easy sort of access to the technology yeah. that means you can just have a laptop and have a piece of software that allows you to create something. Now, if you've able, if you're able to do that with basically no investment on your part, of course you're going to dip in and out because it's just an app it's like having a cool (laughs) app on your phone that you mess around with from time to time that's almost what kind of making music has become but i don't know that i don't think that people should get upset about that because they're not those people are not competition to me you know yeah i'm not i'm not worried about that like why like why is that person my competitor they're not it's (laughs) like just let them express themselves it's like if they end up going on to do something great that's fantastic yeah i'm happy because i want to hear great music you know, so there's so many, uh, there's all those different levels to it. But I think the fact that people can dip in and out of it much more, like, really adds to that aspect of what you're saying about um, the kind of, uh, the sort of, yeah, the sort of people dipping in and out and disappearing. But you've sort of made the point yourself by saying, but they're not doing anything anymore. So it's like, okay, well, the discussion's <laughs> yeah. over then, isn't it? Exactly. Because they're not doing anything anymore. If they were continuing to do it and doing a podcast or having a website or setting up a store or selling beats or having a label or whatever, you would know what they're doing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that would be the start of their in- that would be the start of their entire process and therefore it would be valid. Mm. So um it, it, it kind of I think it all sort of works itself out as we go along. Yeah. It's interesting what you were saying, because um obviously the the ease of being able to um kind of start up now it's it's there for everyone to use if they want to use it um and this kind of segues into a topic i had to talk about um which is basically about the importance of releasing the music that you're making so say if you are making um your music on whatever door you use or whatever you use um there's a very easy way now that you don't even need a label behind you to get your yeah. music out. But I kind of wanted to ask um, both of you, actually, I suppose, on whether you actually think releasing music on a label is as important in this modern age, or do you, do you disagree with that statement? Uh, well, it really... got you first. Yeah, it really depends on... Um, it really depends. I mean, I'm... The, the older I, I get um, and the more experience I have with labels, um, I would say that, you know, l- labels have become less important than ever and more important than ever. Yeah. Because... <laughs> well said. Yeah. Depend If you're wanting to reach a certain audience, if you have certain aims in mind, um, they are able to effectively act like a bank and sort of fund fund you and back you to sort of get you to that next level. Yeah. But you sort of already have to have some kind of following, right? Oh yeah, um, for sure. Especially with major labels, right? They're like, well, we won't we won't help you start your business, but we'll help you expand your business. And so that's what you get now with a lot of the like grime artists and stuff like that. They already have their own following. They're already racking up massive numbers. Yeah. And so a label will come to them and go, we'll help distribute you and we'll put this money behind advertising or whatever and we'll help you get to this level. But you already have the basis there for doing it. Whereas years ago, that was not the case. It was a situation where we will sign 10 acts, develop, nurture, put you in a studio, throw money at it, and two or three of them do Two of them do fantastically well. One of them does pretty well. And that pays for the other six or seven that that don't do that well. Um, But now they're not prepared to do that because it's too much risk. So, you know, it really depends on what you want out of 
out of your trajectory, out of your career. Yeah. And uh, just what your personal sort of ethos is on releasing music. Like, mm. you know, if you release music with the bigger labels, they will kind of, for, for a better word, like interfere with what you're doing, right? Like they will A&R the record. They will ask you to like shorten it. They will ask you to maybe like extend that bit and turn the vocal up or whatever. Yeah. Because they've got, certain aims or certain objectives that they're trying to reach in terms of like streams and how and, and also their audience like mm, they yeah. have an audience and they understand their audience if they're a good label and they want to get that record in as front in front of many you know as many of them as they can and uh and yeah and, and give it the best chance of streams and all the rest of it so it depends how much control you want over it um, and whether you want to have control over the artwork and naming of records and EPs and sort of the whole like cohesive sort of element of just creating something and like putting a record out. Mm. Um, so it really depends. And also like if you sign a if you sign to a label, most of the bigger labels will want to keep that record forever. Um, <laughs> yeah. So again, it really depends on whether you want to give up the masters for good. Yeah. Um, true. So, you know, that's another aspect of it. Um, whereas a lot of smaller labels would give you the tracks back uh, after like seven years or 10 years or whatever. Mm. So it really ah. depends. Like, it really depends on, you've really got to decide what, what your, just what your preference is. Like, what are you comfortable with? What makes you happy? You know, what, like, because I, I just, I'm not good with like, people telling me what to do and <laughs> and so I, and i think a lot of creative people are like that right so yeah do you want to keep the music for yourself you know are you gonna are you gonna give it to a label that you're kind of mates with with the people that run it and so you know it's gonna be like you know you're sharing in the success of it or you're building something that you're all passionate about yeah like it's not about money at this point it's just about there's seven or eight of you and you will make really great tunes and you're going to build this label like uh, an example of that is something like My Love is Underground, right? Like Brother, Jeremy, Underground, um, yeah. Marlon, Genie, uh, you know, all these kind of people that they've sort of sought out and they've released on the label. It was like they were sort of helping like push forward a movement, right? And it all, and it benefited all of them. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it was kind of a family thing, right? And so that can be helpful with a label as well. Mm. So it really, really just depends on, 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 um, on what you want from it. A label, I mean, if you get on a good label, it will just do like untold for you, you know, yeah. doing doing like DJ podcasts, putting together mixes um, and, and all of this stuff. It, it's all great. Like from, you know, this is what I was doing for a while. But then I started to think, well, all it takes is you getting one record on one of the top 10 labels or 15 labels in the world. And that is going to do 10 or 15 or 20 times for you what doing all of that would have done. <laughs> so you know the difficulty is obviously there's a lot of competition there's a lot of um there's a lot of people trying to do that but um it really depends on what your aims are there's yeah. absolutely nothing wrong with you running your own label and doing it yourself and doing it having that diy yeah, like element. yourself mate like yourself yeah but you but also we, we we also uh we also do things in such a way where like we every every piece of artwork we do is custom artwork right it's not like oh, we don't have a template you know we pay a pr company we have proper mastering done you know so you're, you're you're actually doing things properly it's not like um we just stick the stuff up and like hope for the best now obviously <laughs> obviously if you have a following as an artist you can you can leverage that 
to um, to cross promote whatever it is you're doing, your your samples, your EP, your gigs, your merchandise, whatever it is. Yeah. And that's kind of the the, the importance of building up like air quotes personal brand right um you know the idea of like people trust you and they like what you do and so oh if they like your label they'll buy your t-shirt it's not like you don't have to be a you know, fucking con man to get people to buy your t-shirt <laughs> if they like your label it's just like people like what you do they want to support you they like like people love that culture it's like yeah i'll buy a defective t-shirt yeah i'll buy a you know a fucking a king street t-shirt a yeah. paradise garage t-shirt whatever it is it's like it, it's not it's not even like you're not even selling to those people those people are just like if they like what you do they're interested and if they're not they're not and mm. that's fine yeah um you don't you don't sell them you're not cynical about it it's like <laughs> uh, here's my vibe it's like if you're into it that's amazing that's great and if i can count you as a fan that's awesome if i can't like that's that's also cool too it's like maybe not you know maybe everyone doesn't like everything but like it's it's um yeah it really i think it really has to start from what are you happy with? Where are you at in your career? What are you like trying to achieve in terms of ambitions? Are you being a bit too lofty by going, oh, I'm, I've only been making music for a month, but obviously this record should be undefected. It's like, well, <laughs> probably not. No, like it's probably not going to be undefected. Sign me it? up, baby. <laughs> yeah, like if you've been making music two or three years and you're kind of on their radar a bit and maybe they've charted you in some stuff or yeah. maybe... A couple of you've had a couple of things played on their radio show here and there on other labels then yeah maybe it's not too much of a leap to think that the next you know you could send them some stuff and they'll be interested mm. um but if you've been making things for like you know a very very short amount of time it's like that's probably not going to happen so just be patient and um and just keep making music and keep putting music out yeah you've got to keep putting music out because if you don't it's basically pointless to you um you know yeah. uh having like four unfinished ideas is like much much worse than just having one finished track yeah got um, a lot of them <laughs> because yeah me too but the difference is you can actually do something with one finished track right yeah you yeah, can actually yeah. have a conversation with a label or with somebody about one finished yeah. track you can't have a conversation really unless it's with your closest mates or your circle or whatever mm. about here's six unfinished two minute ideas i have okay this is great <laughs> but you need to finish them yeah so you can actually have conversations about where these might go and you know like i always say to people as a joke i'm like i'm like the best producer in the world of like one minute tunes superstar dj you know? oh, yeah minute, i'm like, one I'm minute like tracks. if there was a grammy for like 30 second like machine <laughs> projects I'd win it every year maybe you, know? you should start because i swear like i see on the spotify loads of like chill hop tracks and stuff they're all like a minute and a half long yeah. And I always think to myself, God, that's just like a 16-bar loop right there. I reckon that's, that seems a bit more plausible for me. <laughs> what about you, Harry? Have you got anything to add on this? In um, terms of labels and their importance? Well, I don't know. I think um, with obviously what's happened this year, I think for me, like Bandcamp's really been a really good place for released music. We obviously yeah. have something going on. Yeah. And like for someone like me who's not like, you know, uh, huge and... Um, you know, so I don't get much stuff signed to labels. Bandcamp's good for kind of like if you want to make a bit of money, like directly to you, like straight away after every purchase, it's a great way to go. Like especially for a lot of um, kind of young um, upcoming people as well. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Also, we've got friends who are on there who've got like so many like purchases on there, and it's ridiculous how much money you can make from Bandcamp just direct sales. Yeah, um, and obviously it's less, it's a bit, it's easier to release on Bandcamp because you can put whatever you want up. You just have for to free. Have, 
Yeah, exactly. You just have to have, like Scott said, like you, you do kind of have to have a following for that to actually happen. I mean, the likelihood of you uploading a tune to Bandcamp, um, like say, and you don't, no one knows you're a DJ and you've got no followers, you just made a SoundCloud account and you put someone on Bandcamp, it's not going to come up. But if you've got the following there, it's going to help when you like the following will feel a bit more inclined maybe to buy stuff if it's directly from you. If yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And obviously you can take control of everything. Um, like Scott said again about the labels um, usually dictate the artwork. Um, I didn't know that. Do some labels dictate the, the song names as well or not? Because I've never, I've never really uh, come across that. Probably not, but I mean, well, it depends. Depends I mean, what it's called. Really. Yeah, I guess yeah, it depends so, how, yeah. how it depends how creative and how like funky you want to get. You know, um, uh, what is it? The Lawrence Guy uh, track is called uh, "The Sun Is Warm and Directly Above You." Oh, he's it's got not, some right? great ones though. That's yeah, lovely. I mean, that, but that's brilliant to me. It's like I'm immediately interested in hearing what that track sounds like. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Aside from the fact that it's Lawrence Guy, who's awesome anyway. But <laughs> yeah. if I if I'd never heard of the person who made it, I'd be like. That's a really cool track name. Um, so I think yeah. there's, I really like that. I like the element of, you know, people giving thought to like the cohesiveness of like the tracks they put together and what they call them and, you know, and and the, and the sort of having, an, basically it's fucking down to identity, isn't it? It's like, yeah, what is the yeah, identity yeah. of your label? What are you trying to say? Like, what are you trying to me- communicate? Is there like a deeper level to what you're saying? Um and uh, and and what thought have you put into it rather than just calling something like uh, the name of the vocal sample that you used that you got <laughs> from like a, a splice or that you got from an R&B yeah. record or whatever. Yeah. It's like, okay, we it's great. Like you can do that. And, you know, if you use the most obvious sample in the world and it's an amazing tune, it's still an amazing tune. But like if you want to be a bit more thoughtful, um, as a lot of stuff, you know can be mm. if people are given the room to sort of stretch out and sort of think about it um then uh, then you can do that but it, 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 you know i i you know maybe they're not maybe the bigger labels to be honest the bigger labels you're probably not you know going after those kind of tracks but but uh, yeah but certainly if, if it was something that was a little bit problematic or that they kind of thought was maybe a bit weird or a bit too artistic, they maybe would ask you to change it. It doesn't wouldn't yeah. surprise me if that was the case. Yeah. Um, especially if, maybe if you want something that's short and snappy, or you know, well, this isn't really going to work if, like, you know, when they play it on Radio One, it's not going to, uh, you know, you need to keep it. <laughs> yeah. You need to keep it less than like ten letters, otherwise it will go off the end of the display on the website, and people won't know oh, what it's called. And, yeah. Like maybe it'd be something like that. You know, these are all kind of considerations that maybe people would make. So. Yeah. Um, but I yeah, actually... I like the idea of just pressing up vinyl and just being like, no, I'm going to call these tunes <laughs> like Aphex Twin. You just call it like XVY187, <laughs> you know, 4B. Like, like Elon like, why? Because like it Elon son, yeah. Why? Because it doesn't fucking matter. That's why. Because <laughs> the tune is the tune. It doesn't matter what I call it, does it? Yeah. It's Didn't like, I'm, you're right. Was it Fortet has this yeah. alias? And I was about it, to say this. <laughs> and it's like, it's all just weird emojis. It's like wingdings, pretty much. Yeah. And it's... all of the songs are different. Like, God knows how you can actually come across these I think tunes the only way I think, I'm, yeah I'm pretty sure that concept comes from uh, Ace, Aphex Twin yeah it must do uh, yeah because he was just like well it doesn't fucking matter does it like <laughs> yeah. what, what, why does it matter what the tune's called yeah but, I mean I mean, this is before the internet by the way so you know, well, it does matter now because people want to google it <laughs> and uh, if it's like <laughs> you XV can't seven <laughs> you know seven Roman numerals and then some Arabic and then like four five six 
Like, Dub. it's not going to be that easily Google, <laughs> but actually Apex Twin is like, probably like, mission accomplished. Yeah. You know? Because he's like, I don't want anyone finding my shit. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, I'm ha- I'm very happy with that. Yeah. yeah. I've actually, I'm looking at, um, oh. sorry, sorry, how I'm literally looking at a Lawrence Guy EP now, because you sprung my memory, Scott, and, um, He's got one, and the tracks on there are like, Why Do Cowboys Never Die in the East? And then one song's called The One Where I Like the Vocals. <laughs> and then the, um, the third track's called Disassociation in the Car Park at Sane. <laughs> so it's what? just, yeah, it's crazy, man. It's, it's quite cool, though. I like that idea that you can just name it whatever you want. Cause it, yeah, because yeah, the only so way... The one, the, the one where I like the vocals is like a, it's like a Friends episode, right? So you can, like, <laughs> you can name them all after Friends episode. You're like... The one where, like, you know, the one where, the one where, uh, the one where Rachel hated the kick drum or whatever. You got to name it. You got to name that your next song now. It's actually a really solid idea. Just be like the one where, you know, the one that took me, the one that took me two weeks. The one that I was too lazy to finish for five years. <laughs> right. The Quite one that doesn't have any symbols. <laughs> <laughs> Right, welcome back. Um, welcome for staying with us, guys. Beautiful. Yeah, boy. We've uh, now ventured into this uh, little bit, bit into the part of the show, um, which is probably our favorite part of the show. Always uh, It's the uh, show and tell sex- section. The show and tell section. Uh, meat stroke. Meat. Oh, I can't say. I can't speak. Bloody hell, meat Harry. stroke. Meat, meat stroke. Meat stroke. <laughs> <laughs> God's sake. What's up with you today, no. boy? Oh, I was going to say meet your front left, and then I was going to say um, straight in my basket. Straight in my basket. There we go. I don't, I don't have straight my baskets any better, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny you say um, that, Scott, mate, because. Ooh. Ooh. That's just spicy sauce. <laughs> That's going straight in my basket. <laughs> Ooh. But yeah, uh, as always, uh, guests first. So, uh, Scott, what have you got for us today? The track I have is uh, Son of Raw, is the artist, which is uh, an alias of Dennis Ferrer. Oh. And uh, the track is called Black Man in Space, uh, Sax Mix, official name. Um, just uh, a tune I've, I just I've must have played, I just must have played it at least 200 times in my life <laughs> and just at least 100 times at gigs probably in the last, however, like five, six, seven years. Yeah. Um, just an amazing record, just vibes, chunky, um, energy, soul, techiness, like all the stuff that Dennis Frey does really well. It's a combination of like tech and soul, but it's chunky, but it's housey. Yeah. And there's, there's, it's just like one of those rare tunes that it's like, there isn't, there's basically nowhere that you couldn't play it and it wouldn't work. Um, and I just love it. I just love it. It's like, you can just rely on it all the time. It's so good. It gets you just as a DJ, so into it because the energy of it and the flow of it and the movement of it, the rhythm of it is so good. And so like, it's, this is just one track that will never, ever, ever leave my, um, my box. And, um, and, uh, yeah, uh, this would be one of my favorite ever, ever house records wow. if I was, if I was ever asked. Yeah, if I was ever asked what my X amount of, you know, top ten, top fifteen, top twenty, top five, whatever it be, this would this would pretty much always be in there. Wow. wow. God imagine if we turn around and be like, we hate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I hardly doubt that. I hardly doubt that. Right. Are we um we ready to get into it? We're ready to uh, yeah, give ready this to, a listen. Ready to blow. Ready to blow. <laughs> 
Blimey, Harry. Oh, it's only Monday. Oh, no, Sunday, obviously, because that's when yeah. it comes up. <laughs> right. right. Three, two, one, play. That Watching, was, um, <laughs> yeah, it was lovely. Yeah, that was uh, a black man in space. The sax mix by Son of Raw, um, who Scott said is Dennis Ferrer's, right? Dennis Ferrer, correct? Yeah. yeah. His, I don't um, know how many tracks he's done under that alias, but uh, that's that's definitely him. Wow. I um, I'll start by saying that it almost reminded me of like a gave me a man with the red face kind of vibe actually but i'd say it was a bit darker and deeper uh, a bit more progressive but i fucking love that <laughs> i really enjoyed that too mm. yeah i guess any any record that's got a saxophone in it um that sort of yeah i guess it, it stands out for those reasons yeah um there's not that many i mean there's a few but you can name kind of like definitive sort of house records that have sax in right yeah um yeah yeah yeah, i mean man with the red face is like an amazing tune as well Mm. um especially even the update of the mark knight funky gender i I actually arguably prefer the newer version which is bad to say but um it's not necessarily bad to say i just think it's uh it's a different time it's different production values are available yeah yeah, um it's building on the vibe of like what was done at the time which in many ways would have been limited and yeah. a lot of the early like new york chicago house a lot of the early house stuff that we think of was was made under like massive limitations and so was kind of done just basically working off a vibe like limited pieces of equipment like you had one drum machine yeah. you know one sampler a synth and like a desk and you really maybe they didn't know what they were doing you're like yeah, smashing yeah, yeah. all the levels on the desk and, but that that adds to, the, to to what became the vibe of like what those records were and of course mm. 10 15 20 years later we have you know the ability to recall things and refine things and do things in a different way and 
So, but but I I know what you're saying. That mix is it, the Mark Knight and Funk Agenda mix is like so good. It's like one of those updates that's just yeah, it's it's really a worthy update. But oh, yeah, I, sure. I can see I can see the similarities for sure. But this record, like a black man in space. I mean, I've played it everywhere. I've played it like in clubs. I've played it at like pool parties. I've played it in Russia. I've played it in, you know, gay clubs. I've played it in just all kinds of different environments. And it's just what, you know, like they say, you know, music is universal or house music is universal. This mm, record mm. in my experience is universal. Yeah, It's like, it doesn't matter where you play it. It has the same connection with people and you you just it just there's something about it it's just so well put together the the arrangement of it the energy the way it builds and there's like the techie elements that kind of build and then it kind of goes back down again and yeah it's just an amazing tune and to be honest Dennis Ferrer has done that with he's been doing that for 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 years with all the kind of other other types of records that he's been doing as well mm. um and it could i mean he's one of my favorite uh djs and producers for sure yeah uh, in terms of what he's done over a long period of time in terms of the vibe of his stuff and just kind of where he sits in terms of like i don't think he necessarily does it on purpose but he just has this appeal that's that reaches soulful people techie people tribe tribal people different crowds and yeah. so this this tune is sort of just the ultimate distillation of that really for yeah me. it's just like my, a hybrid of my all preference of them. yeah what, what are your thoughts harry what do you think of this tune um yeah i fucking loved it um like as you say a minute ago about all this like different vibes in one at first i was like oh, this is quite like kind of um dark and dubby and deep and stuff and then the sax came in i was like oh it's a bit lighter so it like started off very dark and like clubby and then the, the thing came in it's still clubby but it wasn't as scary. If that makes sense. <laughs> scary. <laughs> and then the vocal, the vocal I love because I love that kind of old school vocal. Um, it reminded me, um, Dan said this to me as well, a bit like the Mike Dunn vocals and kind yeah. of like just remind, like, what's it, what's it, what's it called? Um, the Distant Planet. Fingers Inc. and stuff like that. I like heard that. That's sort of, oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. vocal. It's just like kind of spoken word. Yeah. over this kind of like deep vibe I loved it yeah it was really subtle nice, nice and yeah. uh, glorious progressive tune I'm massive fan of that massive massive yeah fan. it's one of those things that almost is sort of like where does that come from like I, I don't know if he's recorded that himself or yeah. um but yeah if it's a sample it's like you know there is no soul in space like where does that come from you know just even that the idea of sort of sampling that as a concept it's like oh that would be you know soul and dance music and soul music yeah. and etc connecting it all together or if he's come up with that it's even more genius because not only has he written the track but he's come up with this concept of like you know there is no there you know some people say there is no soul in space like strap me in you know and then you hear this big he says strap me in then you hear this big like clap with like this huge reverb kind of send you into yeah. the next section it's like yeah 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 that's uh we can all we can all be a bit more Derek dennis ferrer i don't think that would be uh, a bad thing <laughs> <laughs> definitely definitely that gets one of these right. from me. Yeah. Oh, Thank you again. for blessing us with that. Money! <laughs> <laughs> Ka-ching! Right, oh, as, um, as I went last week, Harry, I think, it's, um, I think it's fair to say it's your turn this week. Yeah, thank you very much. Well, um, <laughs> Anytime, bro. <laughs> I've got some big shoes to fill after that, so uh, <laughs> I'll just drop this in the chat for you guys now. Yeah, this is by, I don't know what it stands for, but they're, it's by EBE, and um, it's... It's on Summer, Summer Records. And it is, it is I think it's from 2000, it says. And okay. it's called Serenity. And um, I found these, I don't know if it's like two people or one person. I found them um, from, I think it was like last, uh, 
couple of months ago through a Shanty Celeste mix. Oh, cool. And then obviously I kind of looked into them and looked at all their other stuff and like their past releases and stuff on Discogs. I found this and it's like, um, I don't know, it's just really smooth. Like, it's like deep house <laughs> with this kind of little kind of bells going on. Uh, and it's really nice. The, the bass line is lovely. It's, there's so much space as well. Sweet. I think you'll be the really judge of that, it. mate. Let's, uh... yeah, hopefully. hopefully. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If you're all, all ready, just, um, I'll count you in. Three. Three, two. Oh. <laughs> this is Serenity by EBE. Three, two, one, go. So that was Serenity by EBE, uh, and that came out in 2000 on Soma Quality Records, which is Slams and Dave Clark's label, did you know? And I just found out that Daft Punk released uh, a debut release on there. That's something for you. <laughs> but yeah, um, for you. We'd love to know how you guys thought about that track and if you liked it or not. Stop you, Scott, <laughs> mate. Yeah, I like it. Um, it's uh, kind of reminiscent of a lot of that sort of late 90s, uh, sort of deep house, you know, like quite simple arrangement and grooves, but like everything yeah. really nicely put together. And it's actually, um, it's kind of a testament, I think, in a way to, uh, yeah, we, we sort of have a habit now of like overproducing things and um, and sort of thinking there needs to be too much stuff in there and <laughs> kind of putting too much stuff in because we can do it. Yeah. And because we can just go back to things like a hundred times and, um, back then, a lot of those records that were made in that way, you just couldn't do that. It was like you just kind of got something that was a vibe and like you got it down and, you know, you had like very limited equipment. You had like your 909 and maybe like one or two synths and a desk and a yeah. few effects units and you kind of just 
just did it and, you know, maybe recorded like, I know lots of people now that are doing similar things like uh, they're recording, um, you know, like recording 10 minutes of like a hardware jam with like various pieces of hardware and then they're sort of chopping it down to six, the best six minutes, right? And then they can kind of do a little bit of post-production and kind of filter things and whatever. But Oh, sweet. Those, that's sort of the essence of like keeping the magic, right, of these sort of initial ideas yeah. of there's a hey like this is good i have a connection to this thing let's just get it down and and also there's the nice aspect of you know maybe you don't hate the record when you finished it because you haven't listened to it like a thousand times or <laughs> to get to that point yeah, story i feel like life. i feel like a lot of those these tracks is that like this one that you know that we just that we're talking about now is like a prime example of that it's like for me it's like it's it's really good it's like a really solid track but the sort of magic of it is that it's just kind of raw and it's sort of like simple and really just every there's very like little there but it's all really well put together yeah and um and there's obviously some thought gone into that side of it and um and then you just you just you just print that and and that's it and it becomes yeah. a thing and uh and yeah what you know letting sort of letting go of it once that's the vibe and just letting it sort of take on a life of its own and become whatever it becomes after it leaves you. Well, yeah, less is more for sure. I I hundred yeah. percent agree. And this um I think this track does that very, very well indeed. It's just um uh, I wouldn't expect anything else from you to pick. <laughs> Something like this is just bang <laughs> on. Like I I know that this is your shit. <laughs> so yeah. this is why I'm just like, yeah. Standard it's, Harry Oscillate, it's, it's right? What, yeah. It's what I love about the 90s so much, and obviously like the early 2000s, and just older music in general is like, like you said, like the rawness of it. Um, it I don't know, it's like imperfections. I mean, you can't really hear many imperfections, but like in terms of, like, I don't know, everything about it, I just really, I don't love the old school kind of sound, like they're kind of just a bit more raw and lovely. Oh, like I don't know what it is, I just like <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah, it's just, just lovely, yeah. No, I agree. I think, um. Yeah, this one is definitely going straight in my basket, mate. That's for sure. Give I, me a... I think it. Do you want it? Do you want it? <laughs> do you want it? Do you? yeah. Ooh, that's just spicy sauce. That's going straight in my basket. There we go. I was asking for a cha-ching, but oh, cha-ching. There you go. Mm. On my uh, little sound effect box. <laughs> Come on. Come on. We make it work. We move, as you say yeah. many a time. Speak... Harry. We move. Speaking of moving, um, I think it's your go, Dan. Is it? Is it? <laughs> um, I've been really torn between two tracks, actually, for this week. Um, oh, God. But I think I'm going to go for a tune that you actually introduced me to, Harry. And oh my God! If I can guess what it is, no, I'm not going to guess. I'll take me fucking ages. <laughs> yeah, don't we haven't got we haven't got that much time to play with. Um, but um, this song. It's actually the second time I've had him on this show. So it's a DJ Central tune, Harry, which is oh. uh, up your alley. Um, <laughs> again, for me, I'm I'm taking influence from you, mate, honestly. Yeah, so um, this, is a, this is a DJ Central tune called TGTBT, oh, otherwise yes. known as Too Good To Be True. Oh, I love this song. And... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I know. <laughs> sorry, I got carried away there. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, pretend pretend you don't actually know this tune, Harry. Yeah, God, yeah I'm interested. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think we're actually following quite a similar vibe here with um, all the tunes that we've picked today. But um, yeah, very much a kind of progressive, deep, and actually quite a high energy tune for um, quite a minimal one. So um, 
See what you guys think. I know what you think, Harry, but <laughs> that's beside the point. Right, are oh, we, um, we ready to kick things off, guys? Are we ready? Yeah. yeah. Sweet. Uh, three, two, one, go. So that was um, that was my choice this week, and <laughs> and um, that was TGTBT, otherwise known as Too Good to Be True, by DJ Central. And what are your thoughts, guys? What are your thoughts on this one? <laughs> Anyone? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was waiting for Scott to go first. <laughs> I'll go first. Yeah, I, I actually know this track. Really. Sorry. Um, Do you actually? No way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I do know it. Yeah, um, I I really like it. Yeah, I I would say it's uh yeah, which is why I, I kind of made the comment in the beginning. I think you said something like it's uh it sounds garagey straight away, <laughs> which I didn't think it did immediately. But it's funny because it is it is quite a garagey record overall. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I heard it somewhere else. I heard it on a mix somewhere um, a little while ago. I think it only came out. I think it came out this year. But yeah, it's quite um, recent. But yeah, I mean, the it's like a kind of prime example of like how the skill of like kind of just taking one little line of vocal, just one little piece that's kind of emotive or just kind of connects something and just using that and filtering it and kind of using it in a clever way. Um, and yeah, just really simple, but like super effective, like great beats great bass the bass is amazing on it oh it's incredible it's actually a really musical record the way the chords change and then the bass kind of moves it's almost like a walking kind of bass at times but it like progresses with it almost like a jazz bass does yeah it kind of follows those chords um 
but yeah, I, I was. It's funny because I, I actually mentioned this track to somebody the other day. Um, oh, DJ no Central, way. I think, yeah, I think he's done a couple of other things. This guy, DJ Central, right? Yeah, he's done yeah, a yeah. And I mentioned somebody else. This track, because um, I've been buying some vinyl recently. I think this is on vinyl as well. And, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, I think this is probably one of one of the best tracks that's been put out this year in terms of uh, in terms of just overall sort of emotional you know level to it and the production and and um yeah it's i mean i bought quite a lot of records this year i've been buying loads of like uh old kind of like mood to swing and 95 Ooh, north mm. and like old us house and kind of a lot of the new um yeah like the new kind of like like neg and troppy stuff and sort of just random like bits that are all kind of deep house but some of it's kind of garage and some of it's kind of a bit more mm. raw and whatever and this kind of fits into like all of those spaces you know <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like yeah. 9090 it's raw there's kind of like a deep house element to it with the chords but it's also kind of like yeah garagey as well with the bass and it's quite like the heavy sort of the bass is sort of like almost it's like a bit too loud but it's like it's great that it's like that because <laughs> yeah. it just all works perfectly yeah so yeah love it i, I can't uh i can't fault, fault that record at all i love it amazing that's that's so cool that you've um you've actually come across this before. I don't know if we have we've encountered that on this podcast yet. No, um, we have. <laughs> so yeah, me me and Harry were having a little chat during that, saying that um the the baseline almost takes over as like a melodic kind of lead because it because it switches so much throughout and it almost splits up the sections into different parts. Um, it it kind of leads the way for this entire track. And um, I'm a yeah. You get fan. a lot of you get a lot of records where uh, the baseline just they they come up with a one bar, two bar, like imme- like at the beginning of this record, like you get a three bar that repeats, and then you get like a little resolution, yeah. right? And but then it just progresses more and more as the track goes on, and it <laughs> yeah. follows the chords, and it kind of just becomes really active. It's like kind of bouncing around. There's like it's not just it's sticking to that you know, one bar resolution or the repeat or whatever. There's like loads of things going on. So you're right. I think it's also like the tonality of it, the sort of frequency of the bass like lends itself to, yeah. you know, it kind of reproduces well on big systems, but it also reproduces well on like phones and like YouTube and stuff. And mm. so it's easy for people to kind of connect with it. And, you know, sometimes that's like engineering. Sometimes it's the choice of sound. Sometimes it's a little bit of luck. Sometimes it's kind of... Uh, if you pun the garage pun. <laughs> sometimes it gets you through the night, yeah. Uh, sometimes it's like a combination of all of those things. But um, but yeah, it's yeah, it's a, it's, it's a great track. Love it. Yeah. What about you, Harry, mate? I know you love it already, but... Yeah, it's fucking <laughs> sick. Really good track. I'm, yeah, I heard this in a... I don't know if it's the same mix you're on about Scott, but I heard it in a Seb Wildblood mix. Um, he did a Essential mix, I'm pretty sure. And... Um, which is sick, and uh, I heard it in there, and I was just like, "Where? Like, what is this?" I'm assuming he got it pre-released or something because I couldn't find it anywhere. And I found it. I was like, "Wow, this is unreal." <laughs> it's not my usual go-to sort of vibe. No, it's but, a bit. Um, it's a bit kind of faster these days for you, Harry. Really, isn't it? I yeah, suppose. I wouldn't say. I say it's, it's kind of more. I don't know. I think it's kind of the bouncing of it and like the swing and stuff. I, I don't know if I'm, what I'm talking about, but the bouncing <laughs> of it and like the vocal and stuff isn't something I usually play. Yeah. Um, but I I like sometimes you just can't help it but absolutely love a track. <laughs> Even like it doesn't fit into my kind of usual thing, but I'm just like, wow, this is fucking sick. Yeah. Out like, of your ed- out of your edgy circle, mate. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> it's just it's just really sick. I absolutely adore it. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm kind of jealous that you picked up the vinyl actually. Yeah, mate. Literally, well, I was obviously 
using last night to kind of decide what um what track to choose and funny you mentioned it scott because the other one i was battling was a an old mood to swing tune actually oh. there you go yeah you can't beat them i mean I it's, it's yeah it's it's all the vibes man that that's where it all comes from you know all this sort of stuff that we uh 100 that we love especially if you're into that kind of uh yeah new york new jersey stuff but yeah the, the, i mean it's interesting because there's kind of a lot of similarities you know between those those kind of tunes yeah the bass yeah, yeah. in those like old kind of uh you know the bass in those old like masters at work mood to swing eddie perez smack like new jersey new york kind of productions wasn't like nothing was really as well defined because the technology wasn't really there and everything yeah. was a little bit more kind of slapdash and a little bit more kind of on a whim um but you had like just this vibe and this kind of excitement and so that kind of you know made up for the fact that okay maybe this tune isn't mixed like perfectly but it doesn't matter because the yeah. way it communicates and the way it translates yeah. in the club for like, yeah and so this kind of record is almost like there's you can hear some elements of that obviously the bass is obviously the production level is higher in the sense of like the, the sonics of it mm. and how well the bass kind of pushes through like i can imagine that record in a club the bass just like Oh. totally just fucking goes off like the bass comes you. in and just, yeah it just absolutely takes your attention and, that, and that's fantastic and then of course the way the bass progresses throughout the record means that you just keep interest in it and so it's interesting there's like there's like no there's no effects in that there's no build-ups there's yeah. no symbols there's no. no but it doesn't matter because like the, the premise and like the you know the premise and the idea of the record is so good yeah that that just carries the whole thing and that's kind of like what we need more of and less of the you know yeah i spent you know, 40 hours making this tune and it's like perfect, but it's, it's lost all its fun, you know, because I like, <laughs> I like overproduced the shit out of it, which by the way, I've done. So we're know. all guilty of that. But yeah, but yeah, yeah that's, too many that's, sub -booms. that's the reality. <laughs> sub booms, too many sub booms in there. Let me just layer jump. six sub booms for like every frequency band <laughs> that there is known to man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we, um, and that reminded me of another point of this tune before we move on is the, um, the, the split up of the kind of percussive sections makes it so you don't even need any effects at all. And I, I love it. It's like the yeah. kind of like, I want to say rolly bassy things and kind of vinyl breaks and stuff like that. Yeah, it's, it just yeah, it's so almost well. like kind of like little snare rolls and stuff like stuff they used to do, I'm assuming back in the day. To kind of make keep your ears busy. I suppose busy that stuff. is where the um the kind of garage influence is from. Actually, I suppose you could you could say because mm. a lot of them tunes from back in the day still do it. A lot of tunes now still do it. So, but yeah, back it's a vibe. Day. It's a vibe. It's a vibe. Give, <laughs> give yourself a chichingba. Oh, do you want me to? There we go. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> yeah, thank you once Come again. On. <laughs> um, that was the six. Well, we haven't done this sixteen times, but. That was this week's Straight My Basket. Hope you enjoyed yeah, that, guys. I enjoyed that. I bloody did. And um, moving moving swiftly forward, I wanted to chat to you, Scott, obviously about um, the sound design company you run, which is Nightlife Audio. Um, you've obviously touched on it um, a couple of times. And um, first thing I wanted to chat to you about was uh, your sample packs. And I kind of want to get to grips with your kind of ideas and inspirations behind each one you make. If you don't mind explaining, yeah, uh, yeah. So, yes, yeah, I mean, if I if I sort of go back a little bit, um, I've been doing this the sound design stuff now on and off for probably about ten years, maybe. Oh wow! Okay. Um, I've basically been 
Yeah, I mean, I've, I've worked for a whole bunch of companies in the space. Like I've done projects for um, uh, Sample Magic, um, Loop Masters, Akai, Novation. Um, who else? Yeah, Akai, yeah, Akai NPC, this stuff for them. So there's kind of like a whole kind of Novation, like all these kind of companies that are in the space either doing kind of like kits for them or sounds for them or ios kind of you know device sounds and things like that yeah and um it's something that was doing kind of on and off for a while and the things that i did at the time they did pretty well but like i I was saying at the top of the program like i was kind of resistant to it for a long time because Mm. i kind of saw it as sort of um I sort of saw it as necessary evil in a way. Like <laughs> I saw it as almost like the D, the the the, the DJing commercial clubs at the weekends kind of thing. Right. Like right, right. I did. I, I was happy to do it, and it afforded me this freedom and this sort of yeah. uh, you know creative freedom. But I didn't really necessarily want to talk to people about the fact I wasn't like proud of the fact that I played in yeah. commercial clubs, da da da, because it was so far away from like the artistic sort of idea that I had for myself in my head. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And so because of that, I um, I basically was doing this stuff kind of on the side for a while. And, um, and you know, and, and, and it did pretty well. Like I did, I did like projects for native instruments, like machine expansions for Oy. them. And wow. yeah, and, and all these things that are kind of out there in the world that people are using. And, and even when I was working uh, predominantly for Loop Masters, I had... Uh, my sounds used by, you know, like Craig David and uh, like, the, you know, Mike Skinner from the streets. Wow. Eh? Um, my Digital Enemy and like, you know, all, all this kind of stuff. So um, it was something that was kind of like happening in the background and I was kind of dipping into it and sort of, you know, but always trying to do the artist thing. And and um, and I sort of felt, in a way, I just felt there was like a bit of a stigma to it for a, for a long time. Like... You know, you don't you don't make you don't make samples and you don't do these other things if you're a serious artist. <laughs> and that was kind of the way it was, like back in, you know, 2006, 8, 10, it, that's sort of how it felt. Right. Um, but obviously what's happened in the last, you know, five years, eight years, and especially this year, um, but even before that, it's that's all completely changed. Um You've, you've got almost everybody now has done samples. It's not even like a big deal anymore. You know, you've got <laughs> massive artists that are like, yeah, we've done sample pack for Elite Masters or Splice or Sample Magic mm. or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and like I was saying earlier as well, I kind of felt like this is where people sort of saw me fitting. And it was almost like in the end, I sort of had to just give up resisting it and just be like, well, that's where people see you as being useful. Mm. And that's the value they get from you. Um, why not? like use it to your advantage so um i kind of stopped but you know basically just kind of matured about the whole thing and just stopped kind of resisting it so much and decided that anybody that reached out to me for help or feedback or advice i would help them and um and i would kind of do the sound design stuff and i built up so much stuff over the years i could build up you know, equipment and keyboards and pedals and all of the, you know, all this hardware and yeah. customized, you know, SSL, you know, units and all these things that people have built for me and things I picked up along the way that I just thought, well, I'm in a really good position to actually offer stuff that hopefully is, is, is like, you know, uh, kind of unique and, and is, is a bit like above what other people are offering. And yeah. if I can, can kind of combine that with what I know about the types of sounds people want to use and all the rest of it, um, then I can hopefully offer something that actually get, you know has value for people. So mm. um, 
Yeah, you know, I'm a firm believer in that. Like, there's lots of sounds out there, there's lots of DJs out there, there's lots of labels out there, but if you do something that is a little bit unique and has extra value for people, like, people are going to pick up on it. It doesn't matter that it's been done before. It's not about, like, you know, inventing the wheel every week. It's just like, <laughs> do you do something that people like and can you offer extra value? It's like, yeah. you know, you, the, the, you know, millions of people are making podcasts, but if you make a podcast that is, like, like a bit better than everybody else's and also offers something different and has a unique angle and has a story behind it that people can actually relate to and get involved in, then there's there's people that will that will want to get involved in that and share in that journey so yeah i kind of like sort of took me a while to get it going and you know figure out the name and the story and kind of what the ethos and manifesto would be and and uh and so that's why it's sort of um yeah that, that's all led me to this point really so mm. it's um been going a couple of months and you know it seems to be good that the you know the reaction's been good and the yeah well it's funny the, you uh, say that mate because um i I actually recall watching the Disclosure Twitch stream. <laughs> that um, was it. Was it what? Oh God, I can't. Was it Garage Mate? Was it that one that um, yeah. got featured? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, what name, I, I've been following those um, Disclosure Twitch streams since they kind of started off. And when I saw that, I was like, "Go on, Scott, come on." <laughs> yeah, I was talking to somebody else about this the other day, saying it's like it's like the best possible start you could wish for, really. Yeah, hundred um, yeah, percent. The amount of people that I've had like ref like reference it or message me and saying oh yeah disclosure i saw it on disclosure stream and it's amazing it's like you can't you couldn't pay for that advertising no. like if i messaged the guys and said hey i'll give you like three thousand pounds to like mention my you know samples like <laughs> twice they'd be like no thanks do you know what I mean? It just wouldn't be a thing. <laughs> yeah. They would, wouldn't be interested. That's not what it's about. But the yeah. fact that I was, the fact that they'd already been using my drum sounds from other stuff I'd done years before, that was the thing. They'd obviously use those in tracks because when they load up those those kits of, of all the stuff they regularly use, mm. my sounds are in there. Like my drum sounds are, are living in that, oh, yeah. are living in that kit and probably have been <laughs> for a while. Yeah. So of course, when I said, hey guys, like I'm happy to hook you up with the new stuff if you want it and you know, and uh, they were like, yeah, let's go for it. And, and to be honest with you, I said to them, look, you don't even need to mention me. You don't need to mention the label. Don't like, it's not a big deal. Just do what you're going to do. Use them. And if anybody asks you, then it would be great if you just well, like give us a mention. Yeah. But like to their credit, you know, they were mentioning it like every, you know, it's like every three minutes in the stream. It was like, oh, yeah, Scott Diaz. Yeah, Nightlife Audio. <laughs> yeah, that's it, Nightlife Audio. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I've seen these on Splice. And it was like, <laughs> so again, like I say. You just it's like, like the Nico's mini pack adverts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like, you know, Nightlife Audio has got you. It's like, you know, you can't, um, yeah, you can't, you can't pay for that. So it was, nah. it was a great start only a couple of weeks after the, uh, the label had launched. So, you know, once we get a few more products ready and out i'll send them some more stuff and uh you know in all honesty i'd be happy if they use it because yeah, you know yeah, yeah. It, it's just it's good what it's all about. Do you know what i was saying to somebody else the other day what i love what i loved about the way they approached it is that they took the sounds but they made it sound like them you know yeah yeah and uh yeah, with yeah. all of the talk around like everybody's got access to the same sounds and how do you kind of differentiate and it's all like a bit stale and etc etc it's like well if you actually put some work in and you kind of have an idea of like what you want it to sound like and what your what that track is going to be or whatever, you can make it make it sound like you. And that's yeah. whether it's cutting it up, it's regrooving it, it's repitching it. That the mangling possibilities now are basically endless with the technology that's available compared mm. to what it was like twenty or twenty five years ago. 
And so just with a little bit of effort, like you've downloaded some sounds, cool, you've got them. Now just take a little bit of that extra effort to like mould it into what fits for you in terms of feel and swing and vibe and sonics and all the rest of it. Mm. And you can make it sound like you. This idea that like, oh, you just download loops and it doesn't sound like you. Well, Disclosure used eight or nine of the loops in that particular project. And they, yeah. but, but it sounded like a Disclosure record at the end of it. <laughs> yeah. So that, that is a testament to, to what you can do if, you, um, if you're just prepared to, to you know, put in that little bit of work and, and uh, adapt it to what you're looking for, you know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I used to be, um, um, I actually had some stuff down about this. And like, when I first got into kind of production and stuff about like half half a year in, I always thought that like kind of samples and stuff were like taboo and like, you're not meant to use them. Oh my God. Like, ah. But then like, I watched, I listened to a couple of podcasts about it actually and saw some other people's views and how they used them. And as you said, like they, they manipulated it in a way which sounds like them and they're not just, you know, dragging and dropping uh, uh, a drum pattern and then put the bass line on it and then that's the track they're like they're molding it into their track yeah and uh, it kind of I don't know it, it, when I saw people doing it I was like oh you know what maybe like it's not even that bad like if you chop it change it in the right way you can really add some like you know some cool elements to a track as well especially in like I've had a lot of times I don't know about you Dan or even you Scott where you've had you've been making a track and you're like oh I don't know something's quite, like missing and you connect like you go through random samples and you add a little a loop in there maybe change it up a bit yeah. cut some bits up or even combine like three different drum samples that create like a kind of kind of a, like weird little groove and it really helps kind of um, give the track new life and helps you hear it better um, and yeah that was kind of my little thing on it and that's why uh, I now like samples <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean um, yeah uh, you know sometimes you just need that one extra little layer underneath mm-hmm. like that live something that layer that's they've got maybe a slightly different swing or a different feel to it that loosens everything up. But all you do is like bed it right down and it just gives everything a kind of a light, yeah. slightly more alive feel. Um, yeah, you know, there's so much, uh, I mean, it, it's really strange to me, like um, in, in the sort of house community and in the, in the dance community in particular, there's a real stigma around using samples and loops yeah, you know there's, it's almost like people don't want to talk about it like yeah. they use something but they're almost ashamed to say oh i used it it's like a stigma to it yeah. whereas in um uh, in the in the ha- sorry in the r&b and the trap and the hip-hop world it just doesn't exist at all it's yeah. like if you use a sample from you know caps and pro audio or you know splice or whatever you know these these labels or these companies actually talk about it they will actually post and say you know, hey, I just heard my my new melodic loop in the new like, you know, Drake record or the new uh, Anderson Pack record or whatever. And it's like a you know, it's like a badge of pride. Mm. Um, it isn't it isn't seen as this this like oh well you're not you're not a real producer then like what does that even mean? It's like you know so there's there's all of these tools available now and you can use them as as you wish and it's the same with plugins you can get plugins that do chords for you and do complementary yeah. parts for you yeah. And, yeah, yeah. um and and so like the way i see it is and like the philosophy of the company is that you know anything that helps you create is 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 good like you know anything that helps you get from that place of I'm excited about this idea and I think this is cool to a place where it's finished. If you can shorten that gap as much as possible, then that's a good thing yeah. because it means there's more art in the world. It, there's more music in the world. There's more creativity in the world. Now, 
Then after that, it gets judged on various other factors. You know, it then has to live on its own in terms of how good actually is it. Mm. And this, this goes into all the things that we were talking about. You can use samples that are perfectly disguised, that are cut up, that are manipulated, or you cannot do that. But ultimately, an idea or a vibe or a good record or a good song is going gonna, is gonna to exist on its own merits. It doesn't matter to the general public if you've used a piano loop or a keys loop or a lo-fi melodic loop underneath it. It's just not going to matter. If all the rest of it makes sense, it makes sense. So um, that's kind of our philosophy on it. it you know, it, it, it's, it can be a jumping off point. It can sound different at the end. It can sound the same at the end. You can take it as it is, but you could write an original vocal over it which takes the record to a different place anyway. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it's uh, it, it's one of those things where if it helps you make music and finish music and be excited about what you're doing, I don't really see how that's a bad thing. If I you, completely if you, if agree. people don't want to consume them or use them, they're happy to do that. But for many yeah. people, including myself, I would, I would consider myself to be both a consumer and a creator yeah. of, of samples and loops. Sometimes you are just... Like you've got this, like these drum sounds, and it sounds solid and everything's cool, but it's like lacking a bit of magic. It's lacking something that's like, nah, it's, it's a bit methodical, it's a bit mechanical, whatever. Yeah. Then maybe you just put one thing underneath, like might be a live, you know, percussion loop or something of that nature, and it just brings it all to life. And you're like, well, that's it. That's that's it now. That's that's alive. I can yeah. just move on yeah. and do the next thing. Yeah. So for that reason, it is great. And let's be honest, like the industry has changed. There isn't. We're not in a position where we can get a percussion player in and a keyboard player in and a sax player in and an engineer and a vocal recording engineer <laughs> yeah. just to do one record. Yeah. We, we have to use what, what we've got available. And this is trying to bridge that gap, I guess. And so, you know, anything that that, that shortens that that bridge to me is is a good thing. Yeah. 100%, well said. mate. Couldn't have put that better than myself. <laughs> really, really like that. Um, another thing to add as well, obviously, with your um, nightlife audio stuff, you um, you write some articles, and I, I picked up on one um, where you speak about compilation albums. And I wanted to ask you, and I suppose this is an open question to you as well, Harry, um, because we're we're both big fans of compilation albums. Um, mm-hmm. Do you feel like the the kind of streaming platforms like Spotify and Apple? have replaced the the concept and idea of the older compilation albums and do you think that the the playlists that do exist now are going to have the same kind of impact as those compilation albums would have had on an older generation uh i don't think they will have the same impacts um, correct <laughs> <laughs> and that's purely probably more because less of a from a curation perspective but more from a um, a connection to music perspective. Okay. Um, I just don't think people have the connection to music that they used to have, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'm. Maybe that's a bit, bit, bit cynical of me. No, but, I, know, I agree. I agree. It's so disposable now in a weird way for a lot of people. The they idea can just, they can just hop on Spotify and click a playlist, and that's it. And go back. On. Yeah. Yeah. And so because there's less investment of time and of energy and of of brain power on your part, it's like you don't have to go out get on a bus, get on a train, go to the record store, stand there, you know, do the whole dance in the record store, whatever you're doing to kind of get, you know, get your stuff. And, um, you know, because you don't have to invest any time and energy into it, you can just skip that record without any sort of conception of what it might have cost to make it in terms of time or energy or effort. And so 
there's just this uh there is just less of a connection to it because you have to make less less effort to do it and so mm. because of that you know but if you went out to you know you lived in wherever and you got the train to london you went to soho and you went to the record stores and you bought the the first you know chicago house compilations or electro compilations or whatever and you're excited to get home because don't forget you can't listen to it on the way home unless you've got your cd walkman which i don't think exists in 1985 or 1987 <laughs> or whatever right so you get home you sit there in front of your stereo and you're invested in it like the, the time you've put in to do this thing already yeah and then you sit there and you listen to it and you think oh maybe the first time it doesn't really hit you right and we listen to it again then you may be reading the liner notes and you're figuring out, oh, okay, this came from Chicago and this label and you're figuring out all these different things. And if you're that way inclined, you're making these connections, right? Because you're passionate about it. And just, there's just less of that around now. Like, yeah. it, there just is. Like, it, you know, we should be honest about that. I mm. don't think it's a good thing that there's less connection to music, there's less connection to producers, <laughs> to writers, all the rest of it. And so for that reason, I think the connection, the, the, uh, the compilation album sort of has less... Um, gravitas than it used to also don't forget it was all new at the time right like yeah, the sound yeah, came yeah. over it as a brand new sound it was like the first pure garage compilation was like an absolute revelation because it exposed to kind of the general public this sound you know mixed in a certain way and it was like still underground but it was kind of commercial and you know and it had never been done before so the mm. first time it's ever been done like the, the first ministry the annual the first you know compilation in a reggae compilation or the first you know dancehall compilation in the uk or worldwide or whatever yeah they have a different sense of importance i think because because they're kind of uh starting to to carve a path for what is going to come afterwards yeah well there's there's a there's a great site i've i think i've mentioned it quite a few times in this podcast series thank but there's a, oh no <laughs> i was actually going to talk about um there's there's a SoundCloud page called the Classic Mix CD Series, and um, they pretty much spend. Well, I actually spoke to the guy the other week, and um, he just uploads all of these really old compilation albums that DJs create, curated from the late '90s, early '90s kind of time. And I would advise anyone to go check it out because it's yeah. a great way of finding new music, and it's probably the best kind of thing we have as I want to say our generation in a way. But um, it, it's the closest you'll come to the idea, I think, of the kind of compilation albums and getting an appreciation for them um, yeah. from a new kind of perspective. Um, but yeah, I agree. I mean, like Spotify, Spotify playlists and I mean, they're, they're obviously really desirable as an artist to get on. Um, I know that bucket list thing for me currently is to be able to get onto the editorials. But at the same time, you know, these these playlists are so disposable. I, I can't see myself in 10, 20 years thinking, oh, do you remember that Spotify playlist? <laughs> I can't I can't see yeah, it. Yeah, I think the purpose of a playlist, like, now has changed from like, a compilation back in the day, though. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, a playlist that you're trying to get into now on Spotify, if you're trying to get into an editorial playlist, it's more for promotion purposes in a way, isn't it? Like, you're, try you're getting into a playlist because that playlist has uh, X amount of following, and you you hope that that will snowball onto your tracks and then that will lead traffic to your artist profile, et cetera, right. et cetera. Right, right, right. Um, whereas, obviously, back in the day, like, a, a compilation came out and, like, if you say a compilation from America, like, a Cool House compilation came to, like, UK, it's a completely new sound. Like, there's so much yeah, more interest in yeah, that. Yeah, definitely. Whereas now, you can hear songs from all over the world by clicking your fingers. Like, 
Yeah, it, it's just so much more accessible. But then we uh, did um, we did brief. Well, we had a bit of a conversation topic last week about um, obviously record sales, and they they have actually increased um, during yeah. this year during isolation. Which is, um, I was going to ask uh, you, Scott, about something because um, obviously, I mean, people like me and Dan, um, like we we love going to record shops and stuff, but obviously, like as time's gone on, they have obviously become more like common especially in cities outside of London and Brighton and Bristol and et cetera. So like for me, like in Cheltenham or like Southampton, um, they're, they're a lot harder to find. Uh, and for, I guess for young music lovers like myself and Dan, and probably a lot of people who listen to the podcast, um, like it would be nice to understand how, like what was it like when record shops were kind of booming, if you will, not booming, but you know what I mean? Like what was there like a community feel there? Was it like you go to a record shop and like, on the Saturday, like there's people that you see every week, uh, and like, can you just tell us a bit about experiences with like the community and record stores and, and their importance in a way? Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was it was great. It was like really exciting, and that was it was like a hub. It was like a local community hub. It was like the, the you know the community center or the church for like people that loved dance music, you know. And everybody was going out that night or that weekend. Um, people were, were trying to pick up records if they were DJing that night. Um, and it was just a chance for you to like pick up flyers and see what was going on locally. And um, yeah, it was just a real hub. It was great. It was like everybody kind of dropped in. People were selling their tunes and people, you know, you're playing music loud in the shop and there's just a good vibe. It's like, you know, it's like, it's kind of like being, you know, it's not like being in a club, but it's like you're Closest kind of in that environment. <laughs> yeah, you're listening to music loud and, People are kind of like you're recommending tunes to somebody and you're talking to somebody. Oh, you got, you know, if you like that, you've got to listen to this so and so. And then a guy picks it up off the shelf and, you know, and you'd have your little, like, if you know the guys who run the record shop, I was a resident at one of the club nights for the guy who, who owned the, the shop that I went in all the time. So there was always like a bag of stuff for me that, you know, come in like white labels or promos and stuff that was kept for me. And, it was just a way of like meeting like-minded people. It was just they're they're so precious, you know. It's it's really a shame that that's disappeared. That that whole concept is gone, really. I mean, I'm sure there are still obviously there are still record shops, and I'm still a, I'm sure it still exists in some way, but it's just not the same because you know if you wanted to keep up with what was going on, you had to go out. You didn't have a choice to stay at home and kind of catch up later. People talk about FOMO now. It's it's weird the <laughs> idea of FOMO now. It's like, well, what is their fear of missing out on when you can relive everything? Like, <laughs> yeah. like you don't, yeah, yeah. didn't go to that club. 100%. You didn't go to that thing, but they live streamed it. So there, there's no FOMO, is there? Because you can just yeah. watch it again. Like, other than the FOMO of being there with your mate at the time. But like, like 20 years ago, 25 years ago, like there genuinely was FOMO. If you didn't go out, you didn't see anyone. Like that was <laughs> yeah. it. Like yeah. if you went and arranged to meet your friend in town at midday, and they didn't show up, you had to like ring them on the phone at home and be like, hey, where are you? And if their mum answered and they're like, well, they're not here, you'd be like, well, I was supposed to meet, he was supposed to meet me at 12, you know, in Brighton uh, Town Centre. Well, I don't know where he is. He went out two hours ago. Okay, well, you know, <laughs> if he gets back, let me know, let him know I called. It wasn't like you could call someone on a mobile or go on Facebook or post on socials, whatever that, that is. Mad, exist. So that was the true FOMO. Right. But because of that, you actually went out because of that. You were like, oh, I have to go out to these things and participate yeah. in this thing I'm interested in. It didn't exist to just be like, 
you know, I'm not going to go out and, and sort of expect to know what's happening. So, yeah, it, you know, um, I'm really glad that I, I had that time. And, it, you know, it's hard. You can't you can't blame people that are 20 years younger for, like, not knowing what it's like to live without a mobile phone or yeah. not knowing what it's like to not have the internet. It's not their fault. That's just how they've grown up. But yeah. it does mean that, like I was talking about earlier, that hierarchy is gone. That kind yeah. of idea of the respect level of, like, oh, this person is is important or is put in this or does this and so I should wait to do this thing and now that doesn't exist you'll put a clip of a something you're working on on Facebook and you just get someone you've never heard of being like send me that tune and you're like, <laughs> I, uh, well first of all it's not even yeah. finished and second of all I don't know who you are and third of all like you have to have some kind of audience surely to warrant getting free music like yeah, you know, yeah. That, that you know everybody now that that's got like an internet radio show thinks they should get like free promos from everyone. It's like <laughs> you 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 are supposed to be the lifeblood of the scene. You're supposed to go and buy the music from the other labels. So yeah, so all of all of those things have changed. But um, that's a very guess, good point, actually. I guess with all of the pressing of vinyl and all of the music and all these kind of things, we're trying to kind of just keep that alive, basically, to, that is... to the extent that we can. That is a great point that you made about people with radio shows expect to kind of, you know, they want people to send them new tracks and stuff um, to, to play on the radio show and stuff. Um, but would you say that, would you agree with it though, like if, say, smaller artists uh, were kind of playing unreleased music on their radio shows and stuff, do you, do you mean just when it's like kind of a small artist or like someone new who's got like a radio show meshes like a big artist saying, hey, got any new music for me to play on my radio show? That's when the thing. That's the problem. Not not when it's kind of people on the same level sharing their music. Is that what you mean? No. When it, when it's people on the same level, obviously it's different. That's like the equivalent yeah. of you going to Music House and you know, or JTS or Transition. You know, to cut yeah. dubs back in the day, and you'd see other people that were kind of on your level, and you'd be like, oh, I'll, I'll swap that. I'll take one of them, and you take one of them, and you know, <laughs> you're all playing on pirate radio or playing in clubs, and you're kind of all helping each other. But so um, but the idea that, you know, somebody that you don't, that, that has an internet radio station that might have like 20 listeners a week, like those people 20 years ago would have been going to record shops and buying records, right? Yeah. Like, like, like all of like records, like 20 years ago, like the, in the DJ community, it was, it was sure, it was solely uh, kind of kept alive just by DJs. Like it was purely other DJs playing your music. Yeah. You know, it's, it's amazing what, it, what a scene it turned into, really, when you think about. I mean, there were certain bootlegs, like certain records, uh, things like um, uh, The Boy Is Mine by The Architects, the Architects uh, mix of that. Oh, yeah. Which became, like, which is like a garage, you know, classic, but it's a bootleg. It started, you know, it's an illegal mix that they took the acapella, but that sold something like, I don't know what the exact number is, but it's like fifty to 70,000 as a white label. Just on records, like just Jesus. before, even before the major labels picked it up. I mean, that that means there was fifty thousand DJs in in what England and Europe buying it. Oh my now, word. now if you go on Tracksource of Beatport, you can't sell fifty thousand downloads. Yeah, God no. Like that, but that's the equivalent of fifty thousand DJs buying your music, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. of course, there's piracy, and you factor all these things in, and blah blah blah. And maybe now they don't have to buy the whole vinyl because. You put four tracks on it, but now they only want one tune, so they only pay you £2 instead of £8 or whatever. But, you know, the £8 wasn't what the distributor or the label got anyway. It was only, That was what the shop got. So, you know, it, even if you take into consideration all of that, it's like the reality is that 
it, there isn't that many DJs uh, compared to what there used to be, even though there feels like there's more. Yeah. They're obviously not buying the music um, to the rate that they were. So, yeah, it, it, it's changed. But I think, you know, if you're interested in the culture and you're invested in the culture and you want to build it, you should go out and support clubs, venues, DJs, uh, labels that you want to support. Like that, That's the way I had to do it. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, asking people for things for free when it's cost them actual money to make it just because <laughs> yeah, you have a what what is a small radio show doesn't doesn't really seem to be the wisest move to me yeah yeah i mean especially if someone's just asking that like and not putting any effort into like a message or like anything or they haven't reached out to you before and the first thing they ever say to you is that it's I like the that's... equivalent of it's the equivalent of me being at music house uh, or, or groove rider being at moving uh, you know music house and then me just going up to him and going, give me that tune. <laughs> right? Yeah, like, literally. That, like, it's via Facebook, but that's the conversation that we're having. Yeah. yeah. Right? Groove is like, do you, want, do you know who I am? Like, I'm, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to give you this because, you, you know, first of all, you've done, first of all, you haven't done anything. You have no platform. Aside from, I'm not, you know, not to have an ego about it. Is if we take all of that out of it and we just look at it from a purely marketing perspective, mm. you just wouldn't. You just would not go up to somebody no. and say, "Give me that record." But now people will do. Will do that. They'll ask you for records that aren't even finished yet. But like, I suppose like, that... when is this out? And you're like, I haven't. I literally just posted it. Up. <laughs> it's like it's going to be a couple of days before it's, it's even sent to the label. You know, so, yeah. so there's that, that whole thing that goes on as well. But arguably, that could be like a modern form of hierarchy because. If if there's people above you, let's let's say for example, um, Michael Bibby heard a tune that you were listening to, and and he was like, "Give me that tune." As as a smaller artist, straight away you would, because sure. you, you're thinking of the the clout in a way, I suppose. Yep. Um, and I suppose that might be the the modern aspect of what social media has create, created in terms of hierarchy. Maybe the other argument is that. Excuse me. The other, the other, oh my god, can't speak. But that's okay though. That, but that's always that's always existed. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. It's, true. it's okay for it to exist the other way. Like Oliver Heldens messaged me um, a couple of years ago, and I put out a track on Simmer Black with the Shakedown. Oh yeah. And he, and he said, "Hey, can you send me the stems to the Shakedown? I want to do an edit." <laughs> no I was way. like, "Of course," because <laughs> you know, if he does something, he wants to put it out. That's going to fly. Yeah. So I was like, "Of course, I will." And he played it in a couple of his Hell Deep shows, and you know, and and supported it and stuff. I was like, "Of course, I will." So I sent him the stuff, and then we were having a little conversations back and forth. And I, when he DJed in Philly, I went to meet him, and so, you know, and so that was worth it. But like, it's the opposite way around. That's the problem. That 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 it's not the other way around. It's not like if you're a bigger artist, of course you want to reach out to. a a quote smaller artist or somebody who, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. you know, oh, that that's a really good track. I'd play that. Of course, you want to do that. You're kind of lifting people up, and you know, maybe you're not doing it all the time, but that's a particular track that you like, and, and so you do it. But it's the other way of doing it, where again, there is no kind of consideration for like what what your, I don't know, I don't want to sound arrogant or like elitist or it's like no, what I is know, your exactly what is mean. your quote position in the scene? Like it doesn't really work like that. If you're a cool person and you approach somebody in the right way like things can happen yeah. like if you approach fucking mk or you know sunny federa or Derek carter or somebody in the right way you'd probably get like some joy and maybe get like a tune out of them or yeah. get them to do a remix for you or uh, like a, a rate that you maybe you wouldn't think you'd be able to get them for or whatever yeah. so there's a lot to be said for like 
humanity and kindness and human relationship aspects and all the rest of it. Yeah. But most people don't have that. The point is like, you wouldn't just go up to somebody at like a dub cutting house in 1997 and be like, give me that tune, you know? Yeah. But it, the equivalent exists today on Facebook Messenger, you know? Yeah. I, feel, I feel like, I mean, very well said, by the way, and that's kind of, you know, I've never really looked at it like that. Um, and it is, yeah, like, I guess if you just start giving tunes out to everyone, like, even if, I'm not saying, like, I don't want to say, like, tiny DJs, as if I'm some sort of, like, sarcastic guy, but, like, <laughs> to, like, smaller DJs, like, if you start giving out, you know, your unreleased tunes to them, then what's, why, why should you even fucking sell them if you're just giving out to anyone? Like, and, like, they're meant to be the people, as you said, who are supporting the scene, you know, kind of holding it up, uh, paving the way for people else, like sharing it to get them to buy stuff. And, you know, like if you're not willing to even support the artists you love, then like, why would you expect it for free? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it. But that, when I was talking, when I'm talking about the lack of connection to a community, lack of connection to a... It's lack of commitment as well, really. The, 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 yeah, the effort to involve... And that goes back to what we're saying about being able to dip in and dip out of things. Like, yeah. if you are able to just mix on your laptop and you don't have to spend X amount on Technics decks or CDJs or whatever, then it is easy for you to just go, well, I'll just ask for this thing or I'll mess around with this for a bit. And if it doesn't work out, it's fine. There wasn't really any concept of that 20 years ago or 25 or 30 years ago. It was like, if you were serious about making music, you either were in a band, in which case you better learn to play the instrument and you better really learn it well because you're not going to be able to be in a band otherwise. Yeah. Or it was like, <laughs> I'm going to buy decks and I'm going to commit to this thing and I'm going to spend three, four, five, six grand on all my equipment. And once you've got all that, it's like, you've got to commit to it. Now, the idea of just going, well, I can just download Fruity Loops or some whatever, and I can get a few samples, you know, or, or for free as well online, and I'll just kind of dip in and dip out. If I don't do anything with it, it's not a big deal. And then within that comes the thing of, oh, I'll just ask for music for free, or because you sort of have no consideration of like what, what's gone into it, perhaps, yeah, yeah, or yeah. what it actually costs. It's almost like this idea that the value of recorded music's been reduced to zero mm, yeah. when making music actually costs real money but like the value of the recorded aspect of it has been reduced to zero by Spotify, by YouTube and then Spotify and all, all the rest of it yeah. so now we're being told we should leverage it to gigs and that's your business card and gigs is the name of the game but <laughs> which then isn't very foreseeable yeah. it's the time that right. goes into it as well like there's and a lot only, of fucking time gigs only works when it like gig, you know the, the gig thing only works when there's an ecosystem that supports it and right <laughs> yeah. now obviously there isn't so yeah. you know it, it's not right that some people don't want to DJ. They don't want to go out and play records. They're not in their time of their life. They're not good at it. That, yeah. That's not their passion. Uh, dilutes what they're doing elsewhere. But we're forcing people to go out and perform mm. because we're basically saying your music in a recorded and streaming vibe is worth nothing. Yeah. Uh, this actually reminds me of something I saw on Spotify point. quite recently. <clears throat> and I, I heard about it in um, a podcast called Are We Live? I think I mentioned them a couple of times. But love Great it. podcast. Um where Spotify introduced something during um, during this pandemic period where you can set up like a fund me thing on the side. I don't know if you guys have seen this on your... Yeah, it was like uh, you can sort of donate like COVID-19 relief yeah. like, type thing. Yeah, but, but don't you think arguably that's proper cheeky of them to do because that's almost a way out of them actually paying more for people who's who's getting, you know high amounts of views on their music and they're not actually seeing much money from it do you not do you not think that that's maybe just a way out on their part of going oh it's their problem now 
Do you know what I mean? Yeah, possibly. I mean, you know, they're, they're obviously looking at it from a PR perspective. They're sort of taking their platform and allowing uh, people to... Yeah, they're sort of giving people a chance to, hey, see so if you want to donate something to this, yeah. you know, to this person, you can. But yeah, yeah the reality is uh, what you're getting out there, I think, is if you just compensated people properly um, and uh, we weren't in this pickle, then you wouldn't have any need to yeah, post that... a kind of like, you know, mini GoFundMe on each artist page to right. say, hey, you should help this artist out. It's like, well, I'm, I'm listening to their music, but also they're not making any money really from this. So yeah. Um, yeah, yeah I, I, I thoroughly agree with that. I mean, the thing is with Spotify, it's basically like, it's a tech platform that has essentially hijacked the relationship between the artist and the music, right? Mm -hmm. Or the artist and the consumer, sorry. Uh, the artist and the fan, sorry. So that that that's a problem because I want to listen to X artist. I have to go to this platform and I have to listen to an advert by Volkswagen or Mercedes <laughs> before I can consume it. Yeah. That, that's what it's done. It's basically put a barrier in between what I want to listen to um, and and uh, and that tech company. And that's what they've done. They've monetized that relationship between the two of you yeah. in order to, to to advertise to you something that, that, that they want to advertise or that wants to, you know, a company that wants to advertise and make money. So... Yeah, it is a bit of a problem, but the, the problem, you know, within that is that like most people, again, because of the devaluation of recorded music, because of the lack of connection to things, they have no idea mostly that people are not making any money from it. They have no yeah. idea that people are not making enough from it. Yeah. Um, and most people just want to consume the music, don't want to own it, don't, they're not in love with club culture, they don't know the history, and why can you blame them? It's such a niche countercultural thing. You can't expect people to be all into that. Yeah, um, yeah, but it yeah. does make it it does make it hard on the other side. Yeah, but I think that's why um, you know sites like Bandcamp are so important now. And um, obviously, once this podcast come out, uh, it would have just been Bandcamp Friday, why oi, oi, on, uh, right. <laughs> on Friday. Um, but yeah, just just make sure that if you are a uh, a passionate music listener, please do support your artists, and um, especially with sites like Bandcamp, I th I'm pretty sure. 99.9% .9 of artists and DJs and producers would prefer if you, um, you know, you went ahead and listened to their music and then bought it from sites like Bandcamp on days like Bandcamp Day where the opportunity is there for them to, you know, actually try and make a living from this stuff, especially in a time like now. So very important indeed, for sure. Okay, so we're back. <laughs> um, before before we close off the show, got a quick little game um, that we thought we'd play, and this is for for both of you two. Obviously, Scott being the guest as well, and um, Harry, I just want you to answer this brutally honest <laughs> as per usual. <laughs> um, but we are. I'm literally gonna go on my laptop and gonna click every single time that the random question generator comes up and uh, see what the question is, is basically oh, wow. the story of the game. Okay. <laughs> it, we will see what question comes up and whatever question comes up, we're going to ask. Whatever question comes up is whatever question comes up. Yeah. Yeah, Amen. beautiful. <laughs> Amen. Okay. So, question one. Bleep, blah, bleep, blah, bleep, blah, bleep. <laughs> okay. Have you ever lied about your age? 
start with you, Scott. Have you ever right, lied who, about your age? Who, who's ever gone to a club that hasn't lied about their age? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I would say you've you've played it entirely too sensibly if you've uh, if you've gone to a club and just you, you only ever went to a club when you were old enough to get in. It's like. Come on, man. That's not club culture. Oh, God. I'm so boring. Yeah, come like, on. You ain't, you ain't rave, bro, okay? <laughs> I'm not. I'm just not rave. I'm so fucking classical. You're so not rave, bro. I'm so classical. <laughs> my, my friend, uh, my friend uh, Mark, uh, his name's Mark Wall, and his dad's name's Mark Wall. And we call his dad Marky, and we call his son Little Marky. Oh, nice. Uh, and uh, Marky was like, he was like, he's one of my best friends in the world, like ultimate, like just knows everything about like jungle and drum and bass. Just, he's like younger than me, but there's just nothing he doesn't know about any record, yeah. any label, anything, right? Blimey. He's amazing. But yeah, he was, uh, we, he was like a year younger than me. And we used to go out when we were like just a little bit too young to get in, but he used to take his dad's credit card out. And uh, his dad, obviously, credit cards don't have pictures on, but because his name was the same, he used to, like, present it with, like, a fake prove it or, like, a fake ID or something. And because it was, like, two bits of ID, and yeah. he would be like, well, how would I have a credit card if I'm not 18? You know, because, of course, you can't get a credit card unless you're 18. Yeah. So that was... Uh, I mean, that would never fly now because, you know, you, everything was much more slack then. But, yeah, he, uh, he, would, he would lie about his age more than most of us. But, yeah, <laughs> I, I definitely have. <laughs> what wow. about you Harry you ever got into um, a club believe anytime no, I'll tell you what as boring as it sounds I'm not even going to lie to you I've ne- I, I went to a club the first time when I was 18 I know I know oh. I know boo boo me what was the first club but, you went to uh, probably Moomoo's in Cheltenham Moomoo's <laughs> it was like a, like a you know like a commercial normal kind of prism vibe yeah but um, you saw, I think... you saw you saw Scott Diaz play in 2010. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, so Scott... so much so much of the fun was like not knowing whether you were going to get in or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was like that was like part of the buzz. You nah, would, like that, turn mate, up that's and terrifying. You, just, you, you literally just, you, you were like it, this this night like we could not get in here. It was like it's that. It was not... so fu- It was edgy. It was fucking proper edgy. And that Is was that like not terrifying? part of the fun. <laughs> it, it totally was terrifying. But when you got in, it was like the best night ever. It's like when you, you get to a festival, like, you know? You just you're in and no one no one can say anything. Like yeah. once you're in, like unless you like fucking act a dick and get thrown out, like nobody can say anything to you. Yeah. So that's it, you're in. Like once you get in, there's this feeling of like euphoria. It's like yeah. oh man, it's amazing. So yeah, yeah. That, yeah I guess it's like when you when you try and go to a festival and try and um bring all your fun stuff in. Uh, and then you get free security and you're like fuck yeah come on fuck yeah, it's best like, weekend it's like you, yeah exactly it's like the feeling is like you've taken it all already it's just like you're just like <laughs> yeah like you're just walking in it's like everything the weekend is just opening up to you it's like everything's yeah. amazing I'd say the first time though I lied about my age well, well the one time I did was probably when I used to buy cigarettes because <laughs> I'm that cool oh wow you, I didn't boy. go to clubs when I was younger but I went to bought cigarettes <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I'm saying cigarettes like that. I just don't want, yeah, cigarettes, cigs, ciggies, blems. Can't say the Let's get let's get to the next question. Let's get Sorry. to the next question. <laughs> Sorry. Um, okay. Blah 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 blah. I should probably add a sound effect there. What was Scott I? Diaz's first release? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be a weird, one, wouldn't it? <laughs> Ready, set, go. Um, okay. Question number two. Do you have any annoying habits? Oh God. Uh, I do, but I'd rather Scott be a first guess. <laughs> I just let me just patch my wife in; she'll tell you. 
FaceTiming America right now. Yeah, she would probably tell you that I have loads. Uh, I'm very, I have massive ADD. Uh, like I start, like I go into my like computer, like or to go online or focus on one thing. And then within like three minutes, I've forgotten what it is. And I'm like doing something else. And then she's like, didn't you log into Instagram to like reply to that person? I'm like, oh yeah, fuck, I do. Um, or something like that. Or maybe I probably I talk too much. That's one of the ones she always says. <laughs> well, it makes a good um, podcast, mate. I, then I always just go, you don't talk enough. And that's why this marriage is a sham. Um, so, Exclusive. Yeah. Divorce exclusive. <laughs> <World> exclusive. <laughs> oh my god! Fucking hashtag hell. breakup. Hashtag international. God, that'll love. be all over. <laughs> that'll be on OK magazine tomorrow morning. <laughs> what, about, what about you, Harry, mate? What about you? Oh god, I don't know. I, I can't admit that on on live TV. I, but, okay, um, I'll, t- I'll tell you what though. I'll I'll go. The the only annoying habit I have is because of my dad. I, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the podcast before or not, but. So you just leave I... all your mates all the time. Is that <laughs> no, I, I can't look at a magpie without saluting it. That's <laughs> genuinely can't. I guess that's not really an annoying habit though because you don't do it that much. Well, like, it's annoying magpies... to me because I, I literally, I sometimes pretend as well. What, are you just like, like holding your hand down like, no. <laughs> no, like I, I have to salute a magpie but I'll, I'll scratch my head to, to salute it even if like so it's it's like unaware. magpie Tourette's <laughs> yeah literally <laughs> literally is and it's all my dad's fault and uh, thank you very much for that dad to um, be fair like I mean it, annoying habits you mean not for anyone else but just for me is that whenever I like lock a door like I have to fucking check it loads because I get so nervous <laughs> that someone's going to break in or if, I, if I'm the last one to leave the house what if, if someone breaks in and steals everything it's my fault it's not the worst but, habit though well yeah I mean okay <laughs> apart from that I do worry a lot and I do uh, yeah that's it <laughs> that's it I worry a lot and I take ages to lock doors did you get uh, did you get insurance for this podcast <laughs> <laughs> we haven't yet I think we might do we do we now to do that. <laughs> especially after that fucking divorce exclusive <laughs> <laughs> get insurance for that <laughs> okay question number three blah, 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 blah. what is the first thing you do when you wake up um probably look at my phone it's you're like not the, the only worst. one you're yeah it's the like the worst one. thing i probably shouldn't but yeah like i probably look at my phone and then i you know what actually I, I think it does help me figure out like whether i need to get up right now um and <laughs> um, what people are demanding of me on that day or uh whether i can like stay in bed for another hour or two obviously depends on what time it is and blah 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 various factors but maybe if i kind of see what's happening and there's things happening in my world i'll be like came out I, I should get up even if I'm a bit tired I might just be like I should just get the energy to get up and have a coffee and then start figuring out like what the day looks like yeah no I agree I think, I think it's quite common isn't it that um, your phone is not on your alarm but it wakes you up in the morning now I do think that a good thing to do I've tried started practicing recently which hasn't gone very well <laughs> is uh, try not to go on my phone for the first half an hour excluding turning my alarm off and checking the time what do you do like, then? Just lay in bed well, no, for half no, an hour? No, because I fucking work. Dan, I work. Unlike <laughs> <laughs> you, mate, I work. Oh, thanks, mate. Thanks. <laughs> so I get up. Um, it's really bad, actually. The first thing on my mind is probably coffee. Like, I don't know if anyone else experienced... Do you experience that, Scott? Like, the first thing I wake up and think, if I've got to do something that day, I'm like, coffee. coffee. Yeah, I'm the really bad. Like, thanks to my mum, I or just straight away I think, oh, I could eat some chocolate now. <laughs> Oh, um, don't. It's just like the worst. And luckily, I never have any eating because I don't buy any because I'm just like, yeah. yeah, don't buy that. Um, I might have like a bowl of 
fucking shreddies or crunched up cornflakes or something, Oi. which is like, it's something sweet, but at least it's like semi, like it's cereal. It's like semi healthy. It's not, yeah, but it's, it's like, like, we can pass it as cereal, right? It's not I'm like just a like, chocolate biscuit, is it? Yeah, <laughs> I'm just like, like smashing a bar of green and blacks every morning. I'm just like, you are, you're a junkie piece of shit. So I'm going to sort it out. Um, but yeah, so I, yeah, I don't bother with that. But that, that's how I feel when I wake up. I'm like, mm, I'd love, no, love a bit of carrot cake like, right now. <laughs> it's, just, it's kind of weird in a way, but I just have such a sweet tooth. But um, I've, I've kind of got around that a little bit by having like a chocolatey coffee. It's like a coffee that's Ooh. like got these caramel and like cocoa notes. So that, that kind Ooh. of works a little bit. Mm. Um, but yeah, other, other than that, I, I do manage to resist that. But I do kind of feel like, oh, it'd be great to have a piece of chocolate or something but for the oh, most part yeah. once I've, once I've been awake for like 20 minutes that, that's gone <laughs> do you um, this is a weird question but do you have like a coffee machine I don't have a coffee machine I have a little Nespresso at the studio uh, <gasps> right now that's what I've got um, but it's only like it's like the it's just like the cheapest one it's like uh, just a little little one with the little capsules just to kind of give me something you know a little bit of boost if I need it uh, once the coffee shops and, and stuff have closed but um other than that, I do like a pour over coffee. I've got like a nice metal filter that's like, you know, it's like environmentally friendly. You don't have to throw it away. You just rinse it out and it's fine. Um, and uh, yeah, I use that for, for doing the coffee at home. And the coffee I get from Double Drop Coffee, who is like a, it's like a club culture based coffee. And the one I'm oh, drinking don't now they is sell like. That in Nothing Ventures, oh, Harry. is that the one that, is it in like cool different colour packets? Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, they yeah. all have names like, they're so, called like, uh, one of them is called like um, you know they they call cool things like aim and break and like stuff like I can't remember what they're called but they've got like really really cool like club Let culture names check. like one's called like doves like something something doves yeah so they're all they're all named after like club culture concepts but the coffee is amazing it's really Ooh. really good and you can get it in uh, in like whatever form you want you can get it ground you can get beans you can get pour over and they do it for you and um, but yeah but the actual aside from everything else the branding and the marketing and the kind yeah. of ethos and the comedy of it which is fantastic if you're into dance music and club culture yeah aside from that the coffee is really really good mm. so that's uh so that's uh that's generally the start of my day yeah. little plug there. well little, little um, there. i was about to say something i've just double checked <laughs> fine double checked double drop uh to see if that's <laughs> the thing but yeah double drop coffee is actually what they stock in uh one of our good friends of the podcast alex cave who runs uh nothing ventured vinyl in south sea portsmouth yeah uh and yeah, one of the uh, literally only like kind of dance music record shops around where I am, which is in South Coast. Um, Dan's been there as well. It's incredible. Uh, yeah, great little record shop. Like, go on. It's open on a Friday and Saturday. And well, Sunday. Not, well, not for the next month. Not for, yeah. But uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. No, Friday, Saturday, sorry. And uh, yeah, you go there. I we usually go down there from Southampton, spend like three, four hours there, just like chatting to people who come in. Literally kind of like, it's, you know, it feels like um, what it should be. Um, yeah. Going there, meet people I've never met before. We just chat about music and things we like. And as you said earlier, Scott, like literally in there, I'll be listening to a tune and I'll talk to someone and be like, oh, you might actually like this. I didn't quite feel it, but I think you might like it. Uh, and yeah, um, big shout out to Nothing Ventured again, uh, always representing. And yeah, the <laughs> shout out to Double Drop Coffee because yeah. um, Scott's a recommendation and they sell it in all your local record stores. <laughs> there you go. You better, yeah, you better, start, you better, you better start ramping it up real quick. Yeah, yeah. Where, where's our sponsor? <laughs> where's our sponsor? <laughs> God, but um, yeah. On uh, other news, my my day starts with me waking up and uh, crying, or uh, <laughs> well, crying with either happiness or sadness that I've got work or I haven't got work. Oh man, Harry. Usually, it's we do a podcast. We'll do a podcast, and I'll get through a bottle of wine, and then I wake up and be like, "Have I got work? If I have, happy days. I'm gonna cry." 
I haven't, happy days. I'm going to cry with happiness. So, like, yeah. But aside from that, yeah, I'll start with a coffee, shower, and probably go for a run. Pushing it there. But, yeah, right. that's it. Next question. Let's see, Oh, and also we? listen to a bit of Charlay. Charlay. Oh, morning, yeah. So. Can't go down badly with yeah. a bit of Charlay in the morning. Yeah, come on. Okay. <laughs> what is the most memorable place you visited? Um, for me, it would be probably uh, Positano uh, on the Amalfi Coast. That's where I got oh, engaged. Amazing. Oh, um, wow. Is that Italy? Yeah, it's what, like the place that oh. has like the sheer kind of like you know, like almost rock oh, face yeah. and with all the oh, homes mate, it's in it. beautiful. Yeah, That's it's amazing, man. It's like a, just a, yeah, it's a beautiful place and um, it's a mad journey getting there. It's like kind of like cliff edge roads and if you go with some like mad Italian cabbie who like swears he knows where he's going, he just goes at like 80 miles an hour the whole way just like <laughs> convincing you that he knows and but he's stopping asking the locals on the way like where he's going and you're like, I'm not convinced you know where you're going, bruv and he's like, no, I know, Positano and you just keep going and then eventually you get there and it's like really thin roads. It's like, I mean, literally it's like one car and like one person can walk down on the side of the road if they like keep to the hell. edge and almost fall over the side. But yeah. that's like, you're like, oh, this is part of the charm. Like you might, you're almost dying and so are we, but this is like, this is European <laughs> vacation, baby. Like, you know, so, uh, you, you, know, you, you, you wanted to get fucking engaged here. You asked for this. Okay. So, uh, yeah. So um, you got engaged so, there. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, we got engaged there. So that that's one of the best places I've been. And um, yeah, and there's been some great places in the US I've been and like really beautiful spots. But that that place stands out for kind of a, a in terms of like a geographical place, but also like combined with personal reasons. So that, yeah. that would be my answer. To, to, ex, to extend that, Scott, where is the best place you've played in terms of uh, either nightclub or festival? Podcast. Uh, I think um, <laughs> I, uh, the best club I've ever played in is uh, Eden in Ibiza. Oh, sweet! Just and that was for Defected, and that, that just the club's just so good. I mean, it's just the, the sound system's just amazing. I mean, they raised the DJ box up this year after it being a little bit like bit lower for a few, you know, well forever basically before that, mm. and um, it just sounds so good. The sound system's just so well like tuned and. It just, you can drive it really, it, it's really loud without being fatiguing. You don't have to wear earplugs in there. Everything translates really well. So it's easy to mix in there. It's not like a stressful, you know, you're in some places and you can't hear what the hell's going on. And it's loud and it's like, but you're like, shit, I'm struggling to hear it. And so it's, it's none of that. It's just a pure joy to play in there. Yeah. And great big DJ box, great crowd, like big club, and it's you know right in the heart of Ibiza. So, and it's really like in you know years ago it was like nobody cared about Eden and everybody was on Esparidi, like that was the place. And Eden had just opened when I first went to Ibiza, and now it's like the total opposite. Like everybody, like Eden's the place, and no one gives a shit about Esparidi, basically. Jeez. So uh, that that would be my that would be my uh, my place uh, in answer to that question. Wow. wow. What about um, you, Harry? Where's your most best place famous, I've been? Yeah, favorite place you've been. Was well, that from the random question generator? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair. I mean, I've to, I, I don't really travel a lot. I don't want to say Ibiza because I don't really, I don't really travel much. But um, I'd probably say Gibraltar, um, probably because obviously I lived there for three years, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know. It was a very pinnacle part of my life, so it was like it was three years, but it felt like a lifetime. You know, when you're younger and it just feels like forever. Yeah, obviously. Like now, three years, three years ago, fuck me. It feels like three years ago I was still at uni. Like fuck me. <laughs> um, but back then, three years, um, 
in Gibraltar, like it was really a big part of my life and like, you know, just going to school there, like it was fucking magical, mate. Going to school somewhere where it was fucking hot most of the year. Um, yeah, it was fucking beautiful. And also like, obviously I was young, but um nothing really to do with music, to be honest. But um, <laughs> just in general. It was yeah, it was just a, a lovely place. It was a English it was an English speaking place at the south of Spain, like you could see the Atlas Mountains from Gibraltar. So, like, see the monkeys you could see, on the hill? You could see Africa, but you could also see you know, the monkeys. Silvanus macacas is what they're called in the native tongue. And um, <laughs> they're ta- which means tailless monkeys. I can't remember what language it is. But um, <laughs> yeah, fucking Gibraltar, beautiful place. Um, well, yeah, it's got a nice rock. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a nice rock. It's got a nice rock and it's full of English people. Well, and Spanish. <laughs> Then uh, it must te- be great. I keep, I'm, I'm offending so many people here. I'm saying English and Spanish. And I've missed out the main one, which is Gibraltarian people. Sorry. Big up <laughs> to all you Gibraltarian people. Yeah. Right. Final question. Let's let's close this off with a banger. Let's see what we get. Oh, okay. Who would you most like to meet? Should we say dead or alive <laughs> for this one? I think that might make uh, it a bit more interesting. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, for me... It would be... Um, How are you also like? <laughs> obviously. But if, he was, if he was dead. Um, oh, don't. Oh, don't say that. I'm not dead yet. Um, I think, for me, it would be Christopher Hitchens, um, who's an author, sort of social commentator, um, amazing kind of, yeah, sort of contrarian... Critic. I mean, he was, yeah, he was an author, really, is probably what he would describe himself as, but wrote for Vanity Fair, wrote several books, was kind oh, of a wow. very fervent anti-religious campaigner, did lots of talks. There's lots of stuff of, of him on YouTube. He's sort of a, a hero of mine. Mm. Um, he died, uh, unfortunately, I think maybe like nine years ago. He had like throat cancer. Yeah, 2011. Um, yeah. Um, but he was unbelievable. I mean, his arguments, his logic, his passion for sort of, you know, uh, the railing against disinformation and sort of against religion in particular are things that I kind of uh, relate to a lot and hold dear. Um, but in more recent times, I don't know, I guess, I, again, I like the intellectual people. I like Sam Harris. I like Richard Dawkins. Um, maybe if we were talking about funny people or Hollywood people, it might be someone like Matthew McConaughey or mm. uh, Jack Black. I'd love to have a, oh. like imagine the joy of having a dinner party with like Jack Black <laughs> and Black Matthew Man. McConaughey and like maybe a couple of other people. It would just be amazing. It's like oh, mate, that'd, these people that'd be they're just like pure entertainers, like so funny. Like and and also Matthew McConaughey is like a really amazing person. He was raised by these like mad like hippies, like super sexual parents. And he's just turned out to be this super chill, like, zen guy who kind of goes out to the yeah. middle of nowhere by himself for, like, two months and just finds himself and then yeah. comes back and does a Hollywood movie. And, you know, he's just, he's, a, he's unbelievable. So it would be somebody like that, I think. But Christopher Hitchens would be my number one because uh, he's a real, he's a real hero of mine. Mm. Interesting. What, what about you, Harry, mate? Who's your... Uh... Um, well, you can't, when you said about kind of, like, critic and stuff, I kind of changed my mind. I was thinking more, like... Uh, famous DJs and kind of all that sort of stuff but Love Island cast yeah <laughs> yeah I mean it, I'm torn between two people I think these two people at a dinner table would be fucking amazing so like uh, Eckhart Tolle who um, he wrote the book uh, The Power of Now 
uh, which is a great book about mindfulness and just it's it's fucking changed my mindset. The way like I've read half of it and it's I told you about this, Dan, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, really, his his lectures are unbelievable and like just the way the human mind works and the way like it talks about like emotions and it's how to control like your mental state and stuff. It's incredible. And kind also, of, kind of like Wim Hof kind of stuff. Yeah, kind of, but he's more about your conscious and your brain rather than like your breathing and all this sort of stuff. Oh, okay. And then the other person is Alan Watts, who mm. I was just thinking famous. of Alan Watts. He's kind of they, on that same tip, right? Yeah, yeah. So Alan Watts is like just a legendary fucking writer, pretty much. Uh, also, his voice would just be like just just to have him, you know, just to have yeah, him there. And mate, just honestly, I can you. listen. Sometimes I go to bed and instead of rain sounds, yeah, I'll just like to one him. night, man, just to send. Just I don't, I don't need to talk. Just. You know, and also you don't get any food, Alan. Just come and like serenade me to sleep. Yeah, that's it. Mate. That's all you get. <laughs> he's, you know? But yeah, uh, he, he is unbelievable. His yeah. ideas were like way ahead of his time. Yeah. Yeah. His his thoughts and like just the way he explains stuff, especially if you're high. I mean, like, it's <laughs> good. But um, well, it's really interesting because he talks about kind of the paradigm of like consciousness and like what it is to what does it mean to be responsible yeah. and what does it yeah. mean to like what does it mean to be happy and all of these kind of things that mm-hmm. you know the structures that we exist within yeah. it's like, like if you're going to do this then it means that you have to accept this and if you're not willing to accept x then you have to you know not not go down that road yeah, yeah. he's he is really yeah he would be up he would be up there for sure i was funny i was really i was actually thinking about really uh, about that yeah i was thinking about alan watts after i said who I said uh, Christopher Hitchens and the, and uh, Matthew McConaughey and the Jack Black. Then you started talking. I thought, oh, Jack, uh, sorry, Alan Watts would have been a good one because I've I've watched so much of his stuff on YouTube. Oh man, you know, so soothing good. nature of it, but also the the, the educational uh, nature yeah. of it. Yeah, he would. Yeah, he would definitely be in there. If I if I had like four weeks to figure out this guest list, then I'd like <laughs> just make sure I get everyone in there because you're so worried you just miss out people. Like, yeah. I mean, it's... to be honest, Jack Black's great, but I'd definitely rather had have Alan Watts there. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's like. He, but the thing is, like Dan. By the way, Dan, you definitely check out like Alan Watts and Eckhart Tolle after this. Yeah, I'm, or whenever you whenever you can. Like, if you're ever feeling like you know <laughs> lack of inspiration or like just some clarity and whatever or you just want a bit of a relaxation session right hmm. he does like stuff on like perspective and like uh control of your emotions and like just kind of like goals in life as well and how to can like how to focus on stuff that's okay. pretty much like a lot of like zen stuff pretty much hmm. um and yeah a lot of his stuff on youtube pretty much a lot of the lectures are on there with like basically like some ambient music in the background it's really nice oh nice but yeah he i, I just fucking love to kind of <laughs> I wouldn't even want to ask him questions. I just want to just let him speak <laughs> to me. Hear him talk, mate. Yeah. Like he just speak to me. I'm sure he'd spit if I just gave him like <laughs> a 10 minute conversation of explaining my life and what where I, where I want to go. He'd be able to spit back at me like two hours of fucking knowledge, <laughs> and it would be yeah. brilliant. Be like, it would let be me brilliant. tell you where you're going wrong right now. Exactly. Like he's honestly his stuff is just mind boggling. But yeah, that's my two. What about you, Dan? Since it's the final question, what about you? God, you know what? I've kind of been thinking this entire time you guys have been talking about it um, <laughs> to kind of say someone intelligent <laughs> oh mate no, dude, go for no, who but, you mate, um, who you want who you want to speak to like i mean i'd i'd love to i'd love to meet sasha baron cohen that's a, yeah he's um, a cool guy just just because he is really clever and he's actually like <laughs> a comedic genius yeah he's like a, a cambridge alum- yeah. alumni isn't he yeah yeah yeah, yeah. He's, he's not a mug for sure yeah yeah, and I don't know if you guys have watched Borat two yet, but oh my god, it's I don't know. I haven't watched Borat two, but I have been on a kind of 
whenever I have free time, I don't really know what to do with myself. Like if I'm like not producing or like DJing or something or doing something like with graphic design, I'll believe it be like, okay, I want to relax and do nothing like that. <laughs> what, 98% so of the time. So I just go on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> I go on YouTube and either watch um, like Sasha Baron Cohen interviews or yeah. Ricky Gervais interviews. Mm. And I'm just torn between the two. But <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen, yeah, he's a really intelligent guy. Yeah. Really intelligent guy. Sick. And I'd probably say Kerry Chandler, actually. He's someone I really want to meet. Yeah, he um, just seems like a nice guy. Yeah, he seems, he seems proper sound and... Um, yeah, he just seems like a down-to-earth guy. I'd quite yeah. like to, to meet him. And he's, he's one of your fucking idols, mate. Up, try and set up that uh, Sasha Baron Cohen Borat interview for the next uh, podcast. Mate, I was, <laughs> mate, can you imagine a <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen podcast? Fuck me. Oh, man. God. Nah, I've heard Scott Diaz is a better better guest, actually, to be fair to you. Yeah, mate. 100%. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> uh, right, there we go. That's the um, that's the close-off for that little game. Hope you guys in, at home enjoyed that. As I enjoyed as that. We did. I like I like a little bit of uh, brain tinkering, and uh, I never <laughs> thought I'd think of Alan Watts and Eckhart Tolle in this podcast. So that's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> Ticking the boxes there, Harry. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mate, honestly, I'm quite gassed for that. Yeah, but I think that's um I think that's a healthy place to um to wrap this wrap this lovely lovely show up. Um, yeah. I hope you guys at home have enjoyed. And um, j- just before we close off, I would love to ask probably a very typical question that you, the you generic question everyone yeah. gets at the end of a podcast <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um just out of uh, things you're kind of working on at the moment scott what is coming up for you have you got any um you got any things that you want to pursue during the uh, the next lockdown process um in general or? yeah if yeah, you want to shout out there's a bunch of stuff happening there's um i'm doing a new ep for suburban uh, so that will be finished soon. I'm doing more stuff for Grand Plans. There's a track with Kathy Battistessa as well. There's actually two tracks with her, but one's scheduled to come out like next month, like end of February, beginning of December. Sorry, end of February? Excuse me, <laughs> end of uh, November, beginning of December. Uh, that will be coming out on her label, and then we've done a, another vocal track that will come out next year. Um, yeah, there's more stuff for the sample label. You can be doing more tutorials, more YouTube stuff, more kind of educational stuff, um, as well as just working on various like bits and pieces for grand plans and just label stuff. And I'm just trying to like just be keep creative, be creative, put out music, and just see where it goes. There's no sort of great expectation really. Yeah. Um, just keep trying to be helpful to people and bring value and kind of like, you know, do stuff that makes me happy really, rather than kind of getting sucked into this whole idea of like, yeah, just doing stuff I don't really want to do and doing it for the wrong reasons. And I'm kind of in this nice place right now where I'm just like, just, just keep being productive and, uh, and, uh, and putting stuff out into the world for people to, um, to consume. And that's sort of where I'm at really. Amazing. Amazing stuff. What about you, Harry? <laughs> what, <are you> going- <laughs> what about me? Well, you will have a you'll have a release out. Come on. Oh on, yeah. So on Friday. Um, well, it's Friday. It's Friday gone. It's Friday. Just the Friday you- gone. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. The Friday gone. I've I just had a release. I self released a couple of tracks on my Bandcamp for Bandcamp Friday. Oy, oy. Um. Yeah. It's on the Aquaforms EP. You can go have a look. It's like <laughs> I don't know what you, I don't know what it is. Really. It's Edgy. Kind of like, <laughs> it's what it is. It's kind of like. It's got some elements of kind of like how it's especially like deep house with like some trancey synth inspired, uh, 90s, 90s trance inspired kind of synths and stuff with some weird uh, aim and break stuff in there. But right. yeah, go check that out. And um, and also Scott, where can where can people find you online? Uh, yeah, www.scottdiazmusic.com 
is the website, which kind of just leads you to all the other things that are happening. But yeah, Instagram, I'm uh, Scott underscore Diaz. That's the same on Twitter. Uh, Facebook, Scott Diaz Music, pretty easy to find. And the sample label is uh, nightlifeaudio.com. Uh, nightlife spelt in the uh, in the vein of the, the famous Kim English record <laughs> yeah. of the same name. So it's yeah. N-I-T-E-L-I-F-E audio.com. And also the label's on Splice as well. So yeah. Oi, oi, yeah! Please do definitely check out um, Scott's music if you haven't already. If you yeah, haven't already, very sick. Where, very where have you been? Where have you been? Yeah, um, but yeah. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening to the sixteenth episode. Um, obviously, lockdown has just started in the UK, so please do stay safe out there. Yeah. Um, drop your friends a message. You know, if you're, um, if we're all in this together, basically. At yeah. the end of the day. So and also, yeah, big uh, shout out if you listen to this. Uh, it's episode sixteen, and it's. Uh, we're creeping up on the big uh, 2-0. Yeah, boy. Which is uh, exciting. And uh, yeah, <laughs> it honestly, honestly means the world if you uh, listen to a podcast every week. Um, we see you and we do salute you. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and once again, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, Scott, mate. So yeah, thank you very much. Coming on, mate. For, Thanks uh, for having for me. Coming no on. worries, guys. Appreciate no it. Worries. Thank you. Amazing. Right, we'll be back next week for more guests, more stupid shite and everything else in between. So (laughs) we will see you then, guys. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Bye. Peace. (laughs) 